The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Yep. And tonight, we're going to talk about the Department of Nerdly Affairs, because this special show is our one-year anniversary show. One year ago today, more or less, we released three brand new episodes of the Department of Nerdly Affairs, which we inflicted upon the internet and the podcast community. So we thought we'd spend this episode looking back at the show, where it came from, where it's been, and where it's going. We're kind of doing a past, present, future kind of thing with it. Um, so first, I think we should probably talk about where this podcast came from. This podcast, if I remember right, Don, you can correct me on this one, was basically your idea. Is that correct? It was. I guess it kind of was, wasn't it? I mean, I remember you were asking me about how to do a show. And I said, well, you know, we need to do a show or sorry. And I said, well, we could do a show together. And you said, okay. And they kind of went from there. That's kind of how I remember it anyway. There's kind of, there's kind of uh, more of a back and forth. Well, I was giving the simplified condensed version, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. Well, cause uh, it, mm-hmm. it started for me. Cause if you remember, I talked to myself now. You always talk to yourself, haven't you? Yeah, but I do it a lot. And then... Okay. It's called getting older, dude. Well, it, it could, and it's being surrounded by irritating people you don't want to spend time with. There's that, too. But... I thought it was your toys. I like them. Okay. It's the human race that bothers me. But one day, come the day of fire, they will learn. They, no, I mean, anyway. So, um... I remember I, I, I talked to myself and I came up with a lot of good ideas because I be, would be talking and I'd be like, oh, and I was talking with somebody about blah, blah, blah. And then think about it and go, oh, that was myself. And then I thought to record them. Mm-hmm. And then you recommended getting the Zoom. Mm-hmm. And Zoom I did. H2 audio recorder he's talking about. Yeah. And after doing that, I was saying, maybe we should do something with these. And you said, well, you can put stuff online and... Then the idea was, as I recall, mm-hmm. was because we used to have like phone conversations because we live in different parts of the world all the time. Mm-hmm. And then the premise was, well, why don't we just take those kind of discussions and put them in line? Because it was half of that was kind of what I was talking to myself about. And then mm-hmm. we we thought, sure. And you had apparently been planning that for some time because two days later you sent just like every piece of info you could ever want about recording anything and putting it anywhere on the internet. Well, that was me convincing you. I'd always thought that our conversations from many years ago, and when I say many years ago, I'm talking decades here, people. um, Some of them I thought would actually make good listening or would be worth listening to some other people for one reason Mm -hmm. or another in my hubris. And (laughs) ever since I started podcasting Kung Fu Action Theater in 2007, I'd always thought that 
doing a you know a talk show, possibly one with you would be interesting. But I'd always set it aside because you're such a Luddite. I didn't mm-hmm. think that you'd actually be up for it or maybe in a position to handle it. So I just kind of set the idea aside for the longest time until suddenly you came to me and said, let's do, you know, how do we record this stuff? And at that point, I'm like, well, opportunity has come. I'm not doing any other podcasting, so let's do this. Hmm. And so I suggested then to just continue the story that we do some practice podcasts, which we did. I don't remember. I think we did two, maybe three practice shows. And after that... Um, I said, well, we should record at least three shows to release right at the beginning so that the audience can get a good taste of us because that's what I'd read online, you know, the modern podcasting standard is. And so we did those three shows and then we recorded a couple more to go past that just to get a little ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. And we edited them and released them. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much it. Well, of course, our, wait, I'm forgetting the, what, month <laughs> and a half we spent trying to come up with a name for the show, though. Yeah, that because I've still got my list, and I think we were up around 800 different names. I think we were, actually. We just had this giant list that we just kept adding to, and we kept almost finding the right one, but it was always something that someone had already used as a blog somewhere or was well, being used in some form. Yeah, because if you remember, most of our favorites, I don't know what this says, but most of the ones we both really, really liked were already being used by European metal bands. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, but what was the other one that we, the one that we actually were pretty much ready to use and we didn't? The church one, what was it? It oh, was the... That was uh, the, uh, the the Church of the Nerdly Arts. The Church of the Nerdly Arts. Yes, there we go. Yeah. The Church of the Nerdly Arts. Yeah, the CNA, right, the Church of the Nerdly Arts, and mm. which was almost there, but their whole religious thing didn't quite work. And then I think I found someone who had actually, like, used it for a blog in, like, 2004 or something weird like that. Yeah, yeah, because I do remember that was another one that was like, somebody used it? How the hell could somebody use it? Like, yeah. in in the future, everything's just going to be named things like Ooble Squawk, because <laughs> anything meaningful will already have been used by somebody. At one point... I was using random word generators to see what I could come up with to see if we could find something that was actually usable. I really mm. was. I was using not random, like it were pretty random words, of course, not just random letters. So, <laughs> yeah. And then whose suggestion was it? Department of Nerdly Affairs. I actually don't remember now which of us actually came out with the Department of Nerdly Affairs part. I think um, it came. I think it came up. Uh, it was another one of those back and forths because. We, if I remember correctly, mm. uh, we were discussing it with Chad. Yes, about coming up with a name, and then it came. This sort of thing came up because I think I came up with the name, but mm. you came up with the premise of it being like an organization. Yes, I think that's yeah. That sounds about right. We'll go with that because that. Because th- there's, I don't think the listeners realize, in case we get our, our big movie deal, there's a whole backstory to why mm-hmm. it's the Department of Nerdly Affairs and such. And I believe you came up with that. Right. And then I came up with the name, and then we discovered that nobody was using it. And it was weird, because the uh, I remember the, the, the web address, Obey the DNA, was strange, because there was a wrestling group called DNA, and mm-hmm. they didn't even use it? Like, what the hell? Those guys, like, uh, copyright everything. 
Well, DNA dot com is copyrighted, just not yeah. Obey the DNA, which is nice and catchy. And yeah, as soon as we found Obey the DNA is the website, it's like well, there it is. We have to use this. Yeah, and as I remember too, mm-hmm. and this is again goes to my my luddite nature. Um, while we were discussing it, you put the prototype site up and registered everything, and I'm like, that took like ten minutes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yep. That's well. I've done this before, right? I've registered mm-hmm. domains before, and I've set sites up, and it was just a matter of registering it, getting the web space, getting um, getting the WordPress plugin installed, and uh, yeah, ready, ready to go. Yeah, it didn't take mm-hmm. long at all. And so at that point, it was just a matter of coming up with art, which we both supplied art, but yours was better, so we went with yours. And um, actually, you know, speaking of art, people mm-hmm. are probably wondering. What the hell that art is? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, I bet there's some people who are listening to this who obviously don't know us who are wondering, why is there a picture of like an Ultraman guy with glasses and a weird cat guy also wearing shades? <laughs> you know, what is this? And no one's been brave enough to ask us or cares. So <laughs> we should probably tell them anyway. Okay, we could do that. Um, okay, so... <laughs> the joke is, at least on my side, is I'm the Ultraman with glasses because you can find me scattered across the net in various places under the name Ultra Rob, which I think I might have mentioned in the Ultraman episode anyway already, but there we mm-hmm. go. Because, you know, Ultraman fan. So I, I called myself Ultra Rob a long time ago, and it was usually a name that isn't taken in most places. Actually, the only place it's actually taken is I went to a place called spacebattles.com, which is like a forum for like military sci-fi fanatics. Mm-hmm. And when I called myself Ultra Rob, they kind of were laughing at me. And I went, because I introduced myself on the site and, and I'm like, yeah. well, what's going on? Well, apparently Rob in space battle, in like in their parlance, their, their jargon that they use stands for random omnipotent being. <laughs> like Q or um, Trelane from Star Trek. You know, basically that one of those beings that just suddenly shows up and causes trouble for humans is a random omnipotent being. And they thought that when I was calling myself Ultra Rob, I was actually making a play on that. They didn't get the Ultraman reference, but no, oh well, whatever. <laughs> That's um, still pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So, and anyway, so... But they let me keep the name anyways. I didn't hang out there for too long. It was, it was a good group. If you're interested in like military sci-fi, spacebattles.com is actually not a bad place. And it's a forum. It's not actually a place where they play games or anything like that, I don't think. Anyway. Hmm. Um, but the more interesting one is probably yours. So why is Ultra Rob <laughs> paired with a cat in a suit, dude? Okay, this one takes a little explaining. Because there's all also- cookies. <laughs> there's also a necktie involved in the picture, if you notice. Yes, there is. I noticed that. Okay, CTC is the uh, I what, what do they call your little like handle on the internet? Um, handle is, it, is that it? Yeah, they're called. It's your, called your handle. Go with that. Okay, that's been mine since um like the uh, early seventies. Because anybody who's older than thirty, well, <laughs> holy crap, anybody who's older than like thirty five might know. Anyone else wouldn't. Uh, back in the earliest days of video games, if you got high score, there was usually only like you could put three letters up for your uh, name. Okay. And I used to use CTC, and I used to do that uh, because when I was about six or seven years old, I used to draw a comic, and it was about Chester the Cat. Mm-hmm. CTC. 
Right, yeah. And then when I was about 10, mm-hmm. I started the Akrima stuff. Mm-hmm. And I borrowed heavily from the stuff I did when I was like six. And the main guy's name was Chester. I used CTC as the first part of his call sign mm-hmm. in the comic. And then that just kind of that kind of stuck. Now in the comic, he wears a red headband, mm-hmm. which is why the picture on on the site, the little cat dude, that's an Akreeman. Mm-hmm. And CTC is the call sign of a guy from the comic. In the comic, he wears a red headband. If you notice... The little picture on the site's wearing a red necktie as a headband. Ah, that's right. Yes. Mm. Now that makes sense. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should note, the picture, in a way, kind of vaguely looks like you as an Akreeman. Okay. <laughs> well, because if I remember right, it, you ha- it has like the mustache and everything you used to have once upon a time, if I remember right. Kind of. The only thing is the little picture has a neck, and I don't really have a neck anymore. <laughs> Well, okay, there is that. Yeah, you're you're kind of stocky individual. That's definitely true. Um, mm-hmm. So so yes, yeah, so that's where those two images come from. Um, it was those were the two natural ones. We were both going to have iconic characters. I'm like yeah, an Ultraman type character, and he's he's and a Kremen, one of Don's comic book guys. That we will do an episode on eventually. We will eventually get Don to actually tell us the story of Akrima. The long, sordid tale of Akrima. <laughs> um, and who knows, maybe there will actually be a comic for you to go check out that will come with it when, when we actually do it. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I was going to say, oh, that's subtle. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, if there's people who want to check it out, Don, you should give them something to check out that they can actually find on the internet. There's mm. just a thought. Well, there's stuff. Where is it? You can, I've got a, a bunch of the old Octreus stories up mm-hmm. on uh, DeviantArt. Right. Okay. Yep, your DeviantArt page, which I think you did mention in one episode at one point. Mm-hmm. So, but don't you own, like, AkrimaCity.com? Uh, yes, I do, because that's going to be for the game. Oh, that's just going to be for the game. You're not going to put any comic stuff up there? There might be. Uh, the thing that I want to do is I want to finish the game first. Mm-hmm. Just because um, back in the day, the game got the best, I guess, reaction from the audience. Right. Like, everybody loved the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good introduction to the setting. Because mm-hmm. I wrote the I wrote the game because uh, there's a lot of the everyday stuff that doesn't come out in a comic, but I took the time to think of, and I thought people should look at this. And the game is all about the everyday stuff. This, by the way, folks, is a role-playing game. Uh, tabletop, yeah. pen-and-paper role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, you kids with your online gaming and... Eh. Well, it might be an online game someday. <laughs> Who knows? A Cream of City Tales. Maybe it'll be a virtual reality game. That'd be so disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, dude, there's going to be, once VR actually truly catches on, there's going to be um, anthropomorphic... Um, you know, role-playing games that, that, where you'll be a uh, furry of one kind or another. I guarantee you that. There'll be a Zootopia role-playing game, I'm sure. There there, there already are, and I kind of... I don't consider my stuff furry. Right. Just, well, for two reasons. Okay. One is the term furry ever since, like, the late 90s has really kind of, like, creepy connotations. Right. And two... Furries tend to come from the uh, funny animal school of thought. Right. Which is like your Bugs Bunny or your Tom and Jerry, where mm. they're animals just cuz. Right, yeah. 
And my stuff, it's it's one race. They're aliens. They're aliens. Okay. They just mm-hmm. happen to look vaguely like cat guys. Yeah. Okay. But they all do. Like it's it's one one species. It's not right. Yeah. The, the, this guy's a, a mouse, and he wears pants but no shirt. His best friend's a duck who wears a shirt and no pants. What the hell is up with that? It's nothing like that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, got, I got it straight. Yeah, you're, you're very serious about this. Okay. Mm. All right. So moving on then. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got our – there's where our avatars come from, our icons come from. And now we should probably actually start talking about the show. Um, so let's take a – we're going to, I think, go through – we've done 20 – eight episodes now of show the first release was three episodes so we count that as one release so that's why it's uh, 28 or this will be episode 28 or 29 wait this is 29 this is episode 29 okay so this is episode 29 of the show so where that's 26 plus three because we released three episodes at the first time for our anniversary we this would things would be much easier if we started with one episode (laughs) but we were weird that way and i didn't know what i was doing so anyway okay so let's so let's look back at some of the episodes we've got i think the easiest way to do it is just to go back chronologically and see what we released so a year ago we released three episodes the first one was called writing sci-fi and horror which was our discussion of just general geek culture um Mm. it doesn't really bear resemblance to what the show eventually became because i think when we first started we didn't really have um a focus except just we're going to discuss nerd stuff and just yeah. see what happens. And yeah. That's pretty much what our original focus was. We didn't really have a plan for all this. It's just kind of like, we're going to discuss, discuss stuff we're interested in and just kind of see what happens. Well, we, there, there's, we did, um, we did want to put stuff more in a, do something more useful rather than just talk about movies. Cause, um, we do have, and I'm going to, get the really hardcore fans all revved up here. We have two lost episodes. Right. Yeah, that's true. We do. Yep. And the episodes were, um, cause we were going to do it more kind of hardcore sociopolitical commentary. So they're very like political. They're very grounded in sociology and current events mm-hmm. and such. Yeah. But we decided that was a little dry. Hmm. And you can kind of, you know, you can kind of know a culture by what they choose to do on their own time. So that's why we went more the the pop culture idea. Yeah. Yeah. That describes it pretty well. We decided yeah. to just more focus more on pop culture because we didn't, we weren't sure. We didn't quite want to do everything at once. We wanted a little, a little bit of a focus. And mm-hmm. so we decided we'll go with the pop culture. It is the Department of Nerdly Affairs. And we'll just kind of see what happens from there. Yeah. Yeah, because that first episode that we did kind of became the cyberpunk episode. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. It did kind of yeah. become the cyberpunk episode. Also, the other thing is, because we're both older, we decided, well, you know, this is a nerd-focused podcast, but we want to do something that's still um, more in our wheelhouse. Like, there's a lot of nerd podcasts out there, nerd culture-focused ones, but they're all pretty much about current news or stuff that's going on. Yeah. Whereas yeah. we're trying to be a little more, I don't want to use the word academic, but we kind of are. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> well, sometimes. We're kind of delving in a little more deeply than a lot of other, like, more nerdly oriented podcasts do. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the way it worked out anyway. Sorry, go. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, because that was kind of um, the thing from the beginning. I believe the phrase that came up was, the world doesn't need two more assholes rating movies. 
Yes. So, so that was why. And, and it's, it's, nobody talks about mm-hmm. the bigger picture. And that was something that, that bothers me because you have to kind of, if you're going to do any kind of like rating or studying of, of entertainment and pop culture, mm-hmm. you have to realize it's a product of its environment. And it's a product of its time. And nobody does that. Mm. And I, so, so what you're basically saying is the focus is more about context, providing some context and background to stuff that people normally don't do. People just yeah. accept it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or don't accept it for what it is. And that's why you get things like people being outraged over something that's 20 years old or people mm. thinking it's something 50 years old is absolutely like not worth perusing because it doesn't conform to the current standard of the correct way of doing a movie or book or whatever. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's about right. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's start our quick little trip through. So the first episode was entitled uh, Writing Sci-Fi and Horror. Yeah. Not that I think we did a very good job of either of those, but it was a start <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, uh, we Well, we talked about some general stuff. I mean, I talked about a bunch of stuff about H. Beam Piper because, you know, I love H. Beam Piper, as anyone yeah. who's heard that episode knows. Um, <laughs> and we talked about just general geek culture stuff. And um, what else? Uh, and and write, some ideas of writing. Oh, yes. And Ready Player One. Yeah. Ironically enough. You know, a, a whole um, book, soon to be movie, that looks back at the history of um, geek culture, basically. Or at yeah. least 80s geek culture. Yeah. So, I th- actually, oddly, I'd say Ready Player One was a good point to make our, start our discussion in some ways. And coming back to it, it is because I just recently finished it and it really kind of fits in with what we were just talking about because, um, before everybody like starts hating on me, which you're going to anyway, um, it's an entertaining story. Mm-hmm. Um, Ernest Klein is actually a very skilled writer. Mm-hmm. Like, like he, he sets things up really well. It flows really well, but Ultimately, it's Twilight for 80s kids. Ooh, yeah, you just pissed off a few people. Yeah. Okay, you want to explain that one? Yeah, I say it because um, it, it, it's, it's entirely, like, nostalgia-based, but it doesn't... There's no critique over anything. Like, again, like I was saying, none of it's put in any kind of context. It's just that you've got this society... Where essentially because Steve Jobs absolutely loved the, the 80s, the, when, when the Steve Jobs-esque character in the story, he makes this new uber full immersive internet where everything, any kind of entertainment or anything anybody's ever done is stored there. And you've got this current generation of the, the, the youngins, they're in their late teens, early 20s in the story, that are obsessed with like 80s culture because this the the oasis it's called this new internet gives them an escape and the premise of the story is that there's this big contest that anyone who can find solve these clues and find the easter egg that this guy left gets like all the money in the universe well he gets control of yeah that's kind of i guess without being more specific yes that'll do yeah he yeah. gets a huge prize um and that's i thought that was a perfectly that's a perfectly decent premise. I mean, that, that's a good premise for a story. I mean, you pointed out that it's actually loosely based on something real that happened. Yeah, the uh, the, the the gold horse treasure hunt from the early 80s. 
Yeah, that, that's so weird. Well, it's also based on, as they note in the book, there was an actual video game version of that as well, with like the golden keys or whatever, that you, that you with adventure, right? Where, you, yeah, where that, the people were fish, finishing the game actually could win a real prize. Yeah, the uh, Atari Sword Quest. Oh, yeah, games. yeah, Sword Quest games, yeah. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, but like I said, there's no it's 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 literally just stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. It it's like a Wikipedia entry of the eighties compared yeah. into a story, basically. Yeah, kinda. And it's it's also got the thing. And I'm gonna kinda get into spoiler territory for people who haven't read it or or waiting for the film. It plays everything plays out exactly like how you'd expect. Like there's no surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew about five chapters in everything that would happen. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is, you don't really care so much. Okay, why so? Well, like I said, it's entertaining. Yes, yeah, it is. And and it does a decent job of being entertaining. So that's why I say I can't hate it. It's just mm-hmm. that there's no like meat to it at all. I would agree with that. Yeah. It's, there, it's not meant to be. I mean, if you think about it, it's structured like a guy going through a video game. It's basically just, you're, you're almost watching a playthrough of a guy going through a video game. It's effectively what it is. It, it is, but it goes back. Um, I remember what I said before that. I thought it was interesting that this is the book that got the movie mm-hmm. because the book Damon, mm-hmm. while it's, 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 essentially nothing like ready player one it does Mm -hmm. deal with a lot of the same kind of concepts Mm -hmm. except damon did a decent job of uh there's more depth to it and it looks at the downside yeah like ready player one really glosses over a lot of the negative things that would come about from something like this yep oh super gloss over it like massively i mean think about it they touch upon how horrible the real world is in Ready mm. Player One, where essentially, this isn't a spoiler because this is how the book opens. Human yeah. beings basically exist pretty much, they just warehouse themselves because they pretty much live in a virtual world. Yeah. They they live in their virtual world and they just, their real bodies are just warehoused. It's kind of like the Matrix that way, except everyone knows they're in the Matrix and want to be there. Mm-hmm. So... That's the best way to think of it. It's kind of like the Matrix, where so people are living in these stacks of like old motorhomes and things like that, and they're living like eight or nine people to a single motorhome because they yeah. just need a little space where they can lay down and eventually get up, stretch their legs, eat a eat a little bit of pre processed food that they've they've gotten from wherever, and then go back into um, go back into the virtual world. Yeah, and that's pretty much. I mean, and it's a horrible, horrible place for the most part. They're it's implied, of course, that if you're a corp, if you're like one of the elite, it's not a bad place, actually. But for the other 99%, it sucks. Yeah. And they they go, they go do imply that, they talk about that, especially towards the beginning and everything. But that just goes away after a certain point. And there's well, no consequences to it, especially once our hero is, yeah, on his mission. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff. And this is, again, where I say it's Twilight for 80s nerds, because... Mm-hmm. A lot of things just kind of happen. Yeah. Like, this is a problem. Now it's not. Oh, no, they killed, like, my entire family, but I get to go to the prom in, like, the car from Back to the Future. Oh, no, teen angst. And it's like, okay, that's, uh, yep. okay. And yeah. I, and, and there's even a part when mm-hmm. you get to the end, mm-hmm. I was really kind of curious how it ends, because 
they almost sort of set up Mm -hmm. a big moral and a big twist and the big realization and bringing back because they they do bring up like the negative parts of the society but yeah they just kind of come and go yeah and there's a part where where it's like you can almost see and here's where they deal with it Uh, nope okay nope Nope, I shouldn't do that because it would get in the way of the pure wish fulfillment nature of the book. Yeah, and 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 that the weird thing for me is like I normally don't like stuff like that, but mm-hmm. it was entertaining because yeah, it's it you know what's going to happen, but you're like okay, I got to see that, and then it happens, mm-hmm. you're like okay, yeah, I got to see that. Okay, that yeah, was pretty yeah. good. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I mean, because we're both '80s kids ultimately, and mm-hmm. so for both of us, I think. It's part of it's entertaining. A part of it is just simply, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know what that is. Yeah. I recognize that. I get that. I mean, actually, I, I, it's basically like, like you're reading a game of eighties Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, and you're just going yeah. through, going, okay, yep, yep, I, and you're answering all the questions as you go, so you feel kind of cool. The fact that you know all this stuff. And I and I I don't know if I should be proud or ashamed, but. I know there was at least two spots where mm-hmm. I'm going, nope, that's not how that worked at all. <laughs> <laughs> There's two places I did that. And I'm like, I don't know how I should feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I understand what you mean. There's a few things where it's like, mm, no, he's not quite right on that. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. I, know, I know this topic better than he does, obviously. But that's okay because he he's shotgunning it. He's got a lot yeah. he's covering. And we, but this isn't going to be here. We're going to turn this podcast into a giant review of Ready Player One, which if the <laughs> readers haven't read, you yeah, you'll see the movie probably. I think it's next year. Or probably it's coming out. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how he translates it. Uh, yeah. I am really curious, really, really curious about a few things. But we'll, well yeah, because the sad part about that, because um, mm-hmm. I know we discussed for doing the movie, mm-hmm. how do you get the rights to everything that comes up in the book? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you don't have to because, again, none of it's the the only thing that's integral to the plot is Rush for some reason. That would be yeah. tricky, but every single other thing you could easily swap out for anything else. You could. I think what they'll probably do. Well, they'll probably swap out with kind of generic versions of a lot of these things that they don't, so they don't have to pay for it. Except. Something that's become a real trend, though. I mean, take a look at that one. Uh, what was that video game movie that came out like a year or so ago? Everyone went crazy for it. It's actually the villain. And he's... Uh, what was that called? Oh, oh uh, he's the, Wreck-It he's Ralph. The, Wreck-It Ralph. Like, yeah. Movies like Wreck-It Ralph and the Lego movie demonstrate that, no, movies that are filled with references and nostalgia are super popular. Yeah, so that's I, true. I think we're going to see the majority of those references. No, they're going to be there. They won't swap them out at all. In fact, yeah. Spielberg said officially the only thing he's swapping out, that he's already said, is Spielberg's doing the movie, so he's mm-hmm. going to either minimize or eliminate all the references to his own stuff. Oh, okay. Out Which of some weird. weird anti-egotism or whatever. But he said there's going to be either little to no Spielberg references in the movie. Okay. But except for that, it's basically open season. Weird. Okay. Anything else you want to say that was connected with uh, episode one, or can we move on? No, that was it. Uh, some of this is things coming up here might come up in uh, in some of the next episodes coming up. Like, okay, so let's, let's, move, let's move on then because we got like twenty eight episodes to go. We're gonna <laughs> we're going we got to get back to the future, man. All right. <laughs> um, so uh, episode two was audience expectations. 
Mm-hmm. And that was our big episode just discussing about how the audience really is in control of the material. Like the audience really is to blame, among other things. I think we discussed that in, in yeah. a way for, you know, the way the media turns out because, surprise, the more you buy it, the more they make it. Yep. And that was a big part of the audience expectations episode. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about it? Actually, I know, because I think a lot of that got in, and I think this was um, Mm -hmm. one of the episodes where you start seeing different conclusions that come up with Mm -hmm. with us and people we talk to that keep coming up later on, because it's like, oh, that's how that works, and then you apply it to other stuff. Right, right. We should note that these first couple episodes are also basically shotgun episodes, where we're we're just going through topic after topic and just wandering all over the place as well. Yeah. Um, so that's why if you see the tags or listen to them, you'll see that there's a huge number of topics covered. The yeah. first truly focused episode we did was, in fact, episode three, which is Nerdly Speculators. Yeah. Because there we were literally going through the history, at least of the 80s and 90s, nerdly speculation, where we're talking about how the nerdly speculators shaped things and how comics were actually uh, had a turning point in the, what would be, 80s when they suddenly became worth money. And so yeah. suddenly they became serious literature and people took them seriously because they were worth money. Yeah. And and that changed the nature. Well, it's happened to a few things. And it changes the nature that instead of a comic being meant to be read, now mm-hmm. it's something you encase in lucite and hang on to because now I don't have to get a job because I'll sell this and go to college in 20 years. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, because everyone else bought 50 copies and they're all sitting there in loose sight. Or now a lot of them have been that have been just thrown out. Yeah. That might be the irony, though. Everyone thinks they're worthless. So everyone just throws them out. And eventually there are only a few copies left that are worth a ton. It is. An, it's also one of them weird things that I wonder about. Because um, when it comes to entertainment, we've kind of really entered the uh, post-scarcity era. Hmm. Especially now, even for things like old comic books and that, a lot of the companies are putting them online. So if you are just a reader, you have access to them. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to actually go out of your way. You can just go read them, which is yeah. awesome. And I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of what collapses the speculator market. But I'm wondering if in the future you'll get some really weird thing where Somebody with like an authentic copy of of something rather than a a, a printout and or a new compilation, like those will start going for crazy bucks. Mm, I think so, yeah. Because it can well, go the other way. It can become cheaper. Yeah, because if if um once the the monetary value is gone, if you're buying a comic book, you're buying it to read it. And you might not give a shit, like, no, it's an original 1965 newsprint edition of Don't Care. I got it in this compilation. I just want to read the damn thing. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. That's true. Um, Well, not all the Marvel Essentials are still even in print anymore. A couple of them have come and gone. Yeah. So, I guess maybe the ones that didn't sell as well. I don't know. But, um, yeah, they're not all here anymore. So, therefore... Some of them are actually collector's items at this point. I think you can. Some of them are going for high prices on Amazon, I believe, as used items. They're they're doing that, and DC is doing a strange thing because remember they were doing uh, the Showcase Presents, which was the same yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, they had their version. Well, the the new ones are actually like high quality bound copies mm-hmm. that are selling for like fifty to a hundred bucks. Yep. 
Marvel's been doing that too. They've started releasing versions that are color versions that are these bound copies that are, yeah, a hundred bucks a pop. Yeah. And, but they're basically just the exact same thing you would have gotten or would get because they're still available in the Marvel Essentials. Yeah. Hmm. But it's interesting that that shows a shift in who they think their audience, who their market is. That's true. Yeah. And their audience, they, they take them as uh, young people with disposable income now. Well, actually, I might argue that that's what the cheap copies were for, that the new ones are like, no, the only person who cares about, like, a 1955 Batman story is some, like, 60-year-old weirdo, and that's why you can sell them the perfect square-bound coffee table book versions of them. Right, because right now they're either retired or they're middle-aged, they have large amounts of disposable income, and a whole nostalgia thing going on. Well, nostalgia, and, and I was thinking on that, it might actually be the next step, too, that... They've gone from being cheap entertainment to nostalgia, and now they're they're high art. Right, okay. And that was why you'll get, like, the older crowd that wants a presentable, high-quality, you know, bound hardcover version of this stuff, because it's considered a social, like, a social artifact, and high culture now instead of just low culture. Mm-hmm. So there we go. So Nerdly Speculators, that was one of our first focused episodes. So I thought, yeah. I think that one went very well. In fact, actually, I believe, let me just double check this, but I believe that is, uh, one sec here. And yes, um, Nerdly Speculators is actually our third most listened to episode. Wow. Now, some of that's, of course, because of time. The older an episode is, the more generally, the more listened to it is. Right, but um, although that's not true, our very, our most listened to episode, which will keep us a surprise till later on, <laughs> is actually one of our later episodes. It's not one of the first ones, right? But yeah, our nerdly uh, nerdly speculators is number three, and number two is actually episode four, which we'll talk about now. The Satanic Panic episode, okay, which for some reason people just naturally found. Maybe people look just looking up Satanic Panic on YouTube or something. Just keep finding it. I'm not quite sure. Right. But it has a very steady listenership. Right. People just keep listening to the Satanic Panic. Um, and I'm not quite sure why, but they do. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because it's got such a catchy title or something. I'm not sure. But, mm. Well, it could be. That's, satanic Panic is the actual term that a lot of places use for the wackiness that happened in the 80s. Yes, it is. Yep, that's true. So if you they look it up, maybe uh, our podcast pops up on it i don't know but um that was that's actually an episode i'm actually fairly proud of i mean we did some good scholarship on it we um covered things pretty well i mean i don't not sure we got everything right in that episode but it was the most focused episode we'd done to date at that point even more so than nerdly speculators because we were actually trying to do a background on a on a historical topic that we thought affected things yeah and it's another one too because uh those two episodes together Kind of started something, uh, I don't know if people noticed, because I don't know if people listened from the beginning or that, mm-hmm. but we always try to do an episode that sets up later episodes. Mm, that's true. So we've done that, like, say we did the role-playing game episode, and it's yep. kind of just a general overview. Mm-hmm. 
and then we did the indie one, and then there's more coming up that are going to be more specific, but that way you've got that one basic episode you can refer back to, so anybody who doesn't know what you're talking about can just, oh, go listen to this, it'll help. Exactly, saves us a lot of trouble. Yeah. And um, so yeah, if you listen to it from the beginning, you'll discover we do backgrounder episodes to set stuff up for later on, we're kind of sneaky that way. Yeah. Speaking of which, episode five, uh, we might as well just go on, is, Uh of course, Star Wars Memories. Right. (laughs) Because we released that just before the new Star Wars movie came out at that time. I believe it was just before. Yeah, just before it came out. And, yeah, well, we we didn't need to bother. But whatever. But, you know, it was about Star Wars and how it affected our lives. And as it did, Mm -hmm. I think, for most of our generation. Yeah. I'm wondering what, what, like, the, the kids of tomorrow are going to use as their... Because I think we mentioned it. Like, I know I do. I I measure the passage of time by Star Wars movies. Okay. So, and are, are kids in the future going to do that? Will it be like Harry Potter movies? Oh, I was... This must have happened in... Because it was before Harry Potter and the whatever, the whatever, and then we did this. And Well, that's an interesting point. Is our... And here, let's go with this for a second. So, mm-hmm. is our generation the first generation to measure our existence, so to speak, in media, like in film? You know, at what point did people start? It's, you know, I know older generations definitely measured things in like historical events. Yeah. They thought in terms of historical events, but what generation was it ours that first just started saying, we, we're not measuring ourselves in terms of history, we measure ourselves in terms of media history. Huh. I mean, Star Wars was incredibly eventful. Right. It changed many, many things, and that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, that's 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 good. Mm-hmm. But was that the first? I mean, or did huh. our parents work? Maybe, maybe the Beatles, maybe Elvis. I mean, was there? What did the generation before us do? You know, I, th- I think probably the first generation that measured their lives in terms of media would be um our parents the boomers yeah and i think because like you said it would be the the beatles it would mm. go back earlier like elvis presley and mm. i think that ties in with uh one of the episodes we did later on about how teenagers are a relatively new invention right and i'm thinking yeah kind of like you're getting at that that was Part of the the teenage culture thing was measuring your life in terms of media events. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be our parents, because I think for our parents, a lot of what you said prior to that, prior to World War II, it would be a real life event that would be the milestone. Mm. For our parents, that started to blur. Right. So if be- you take... Hmm? I was going to say, because... They they're also the first generation to literally view things on TV. Yeah, view things in the media. So the TV news is their view of history in the world. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that would be that's probably the best way of putting it. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, and so because of that, it, so it's really TV that did this, or at least the perception of the media as being equal to history in some ways. Yeah, I th- I think. Because radio did the same thing, say, pre-war. That's true. But it didn't seem to overshadow the event. Hmm. 
Well, maybe it's because, remember, with radio, it's still happening in the listeners' minds. They're just hearing sound, right? So yeah. They're missing a visual element. So so the hearing the story of, like, the Hindenburg going down or something like that, oh, the humanity and all mm. that, that might actually still be an event that they would remember, but it might not affect them quite the same, maybe more, yeah. maybe less, as actually being, as actually seeing it happen, like watching the, the planes hit the Twin Towers or something did. Yeah. Because I think if you go back to the 20s, mm-hmm. you had kind of, um, you, you had similar stuff because there was all kinds of, say, like publicity events mm-hmm. and that and people like, remember when Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic and stuff like that. Mm. But I think it was probably our parents that really sort of uh, kind of took that idea that started that far back. Mm-hmm. And again, I think with like, cause the, the film and radio were the things and film is slow to react and radio again, I think like you say, cause a lot of it's still kind of personalized and it doesn't overshadow the event itself. But yeah, I do. I would probably say that, yeah, television and our folks were the first people that did that. Mm. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's just something that occurred to me as we were, as we were talking about this, and huh. because and Star Wars for us is like the yeah the moment. I mean, well, Star, a New Hope. Okay, let's be specific. Yeah. A New Hope is because Brian Posehn did a uh, routine about that, where he pointed out that Star Wars is like our generation's Vietnam. But you kind of have to hear him. It's funnier if you hear him explain it. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. All right, so the next episode would then be our New Year's episode, a look at 2015 and 2016. Yeah. Um, which I think we should probably, there's not really much to say about that. Um, yeah. In fact, we'll pro- we might do another New Year's episode this year and we'll go back and revisit that episode and look yeah. at 2017 when we do it. We'll see how accurate we were. You know, we'll go back and then we'll do that as an episode later on. Yeah. Well, the, um, the only. The the, the only thing for that episode I have to say was uh, Chad's Yokai Watch. Pow! Here's a hamburger. Kind of became a running gag for a while. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's move on <laughs> then to more happy subjects. Ooh, number episode seven. Welcome to Cyberpunk. Yeah, that's uh, one of the... Uh, I think this is one of the first episodes that really depressed me. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because, and anybody who listened to it, you can kind of tell, because we're trying really hard to find the, the error in our thinking with all mm. the depressing stuff, and, and yep. we we couldn't. It, it's, yeah. um, yeah, 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 it's, yeah, um, there's, there's one thing about it that I find hilarious, though. Mm? Oh, what? In retrospect, and it's, I, because I, I was thinking, um, go back to the 80s when Cyberpunk first took off. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, say, your second-tier cyberpunk movies and stories and that, you would have, like, you know, the evil megacorp that ran the world to be, like, Evil Co. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And people go, well, that's kind of silly and hackneyed and blah, blah, blah. But you think about it, we talked about Uber mm-hmm. and the, the sharing economy and, that and how that's going to destroy society. Right. And if you... And, recently, Uber announced that they're funding research into self-driving cars. Dude, they're not funding research. They've actually deployed a fleet of them in one city down the States already. Mm-hmm. That's a test. And last week, I saw an Uber with Uber written on the side, self-driving car here in London, Ontario. Okay. 
I saw one of them with my <laughs> own eyes with the with the driver sitting there smoking away as the car was driving him around. It was a kind of freaky looking. He had this weird dish <laughs> thing on the uh, on the roof and everything. At least right. I, I, from what I could tell, I'm pretty sure that was a self-driving car. What it was doing, I'm not quite sure. But, well, whether it was just surveying or testing or whatever. But, no, no, that was reality. And it was driving mm. down my street. Because you know what's interesting about that? Twice, actually. Yeah, sorry. That's, Go. That's, that's really creepy. But it's the idea that if back in the 80s I saw a movie where the evil company that ran the world was called Uber, I'd be like, oh, that's a little on the nose, don't you think? And now in real life we're all going to be run by company evil corporations called things like Google and Uber. And, like, really? Yep, that's true. It's almost silly, isn't it? Life imitates art. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. (laughs) Well, hopefully it won't imitate Welcome to Cyberpunk, our episode, too much. If it does, we might have a problem on our hands. Actually, here's something funny just before we go on. So recently I was looking at the um, some of the literary genres on Amazon. So I was looking at books under the cyberpunk category. If someone looks under the cyberpunk category, you know what you'll find? Well, here, I I can tell you what the the number one book still is, okay? Roboporn? No, Ready Player One. Oh, okay. That's number one book. And then Damon's a little bit farther down the list. But the majority of the list, though, they're all basically like Ready Player One knockoffs. They're not wow. people doing, quote-unquote, cyberpunk literature. Uh, most of them are people writing stories about people either trapped in video games or playing video games. Huh. Uh, but the, but that's what the cyberpunk category is filled with. Yikes. <laughs> it's like, well, because well, the truth is that makes sense in a weird way, though, because, well, it's the whole cyber thing in that... People don't really want the warning of the future because we all know what's happening. We're watching it happen. We're in a transition period. We're watching it happen live around us. So as an end result, people want escapism. They don't want to be faced because they can look out their window and watch the Uber car go driving by. Yeah. And then huh. you know, you can see the and you can watch Donald Trump you know being up uh, for election. I mean, we we don't have to uh, we don't have to imagine what cyberpunk is like. It's we're we're living it. True. So it's interesting that I find the genre has kind of turned into another odd escapist genre. They should really call it the, at this point, the virtual reality genre or something like that. You know what? It's interesting about that. Mm. There's two weird points. Number one being, um, Mm -hmm. if they're like Ready Player One, the moral of the story is that, no, this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, And number two, do you remember in the 90s when they tried to really push stuff like that and nobody cared? Mm hmm. It's ironic that people care now. <laughs> well, yeah, you care when your boat's actually sinking. You don't care until the Titanic hits <laughs> the iceberg, dude. <laughs> um, so, that, and or when the, or when the ocean starts rising, or you know, the CO two levels start tipping over. I uh, think your pick. Or when the evil uh, robot intelligence Uber is sending its uh, drones out to kill us all. Yeah, well, it'll be quick and painless. I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, let's go to a happier one. Are superhero movies bad for us? Aha. Now, if I remember right, this was the second one. I believe Chad joined us for uh, New Year's Look at 2015 2016. He was, if I remember right, our very first guest. Yeah. And then Superheroes Bad for Us was our other regular recurring guest, Jack Ward, dropped in for his first appearance to discuss yeah. superhero movies. Yeah. And our conclusion was, eh, maybe, if I remember right. <laughs> Yeah, it no was worse it, than anything else. Yeah, it was it was one of the things that I kind of cuz 
the the whole superhero genre. I know we talked about this because the thing that always pisses me off about superheroes is how they neglect the consequences of the big fight scene. Mm. And I thought about that because I was watching a uh, thing about Godzilla, the original movie, and they talked about how they made a point of drawing attention to that. Mm, The Japanese often do, yeah. And I'm wondering if the reason we don't is partly because of uh, the, uh, the comics code. Everything had to be sanitized thanks to the comics code. Yeah, and then that became the norm, and then that mm-hmm. was why, like, say, nowadays you can watch, like, an Avengers movie where buildings get knocked down and nary an ambulance to be seen, you know. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but I think there must be some effect there. I mean, they are almost all from the Marvel characters, I mean, from that period, right? Mm-hmm. Fr- and so, and Marvel Comics was built on code ethics so to speak so yeah, yeah you're right that w- that's something that always struck me actually the difference between the american and the japanese stuff yeah the, when i even was as a kid i noticed the japanese stuff showed collateral damage yeah like it showed people running out of buildings people you know having buildings fall on them getting stepped on by monsters mm-hmm. even if even if you go back and watch like you know, Macross or Gatchaman or that, when something blows up, usually you see people going flying or getting sucked out or whatever. Or I mean, being blown into pieces. Exactly, yeah. Huh? Um, and you see people being affected by this stuff because guess yeah. what? Those things affect people. Yeah. But it's also very sanitized in the Marvel movies. Yeah, It well, really it, is. Well, just the comic, but they're just like the comics. They're not blaming the movies. Yeah, well, I, th- I think too, and 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 it's it's that idea like um, we've talked about before for a bunch of things, mm-hmm. how certain genres become appropriate for certain ages, even though there's no real inherent reason for that. Mm, true. And I'm wondering if again, because of the comics code back in the '50s, kind of subliminally for in in the mind of the people, like say superhero or even science fiction is generally considered kid stuff. Mm, true. So, so subconsciously we uh we have to edit it and and that's why like growing up as a kid mm-hmm. you would get um the super friends where yeah. superman and batman aren't allowed to punch anybody because yeah. that would be wrong and then i can flip to uh watching battle of the planets which is the uh english version of gachaman where when something blows up they will show you bystanders disintegrating yeah and we were watching that at this, you know, back to back sometimes mm-hmm. as kids. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, um, that's. But as a kid, I remember, as I said, it was the Gatchaman stuff that really drew me in. It's like, well, no, this wait, they're showing consequence. That actually meant something. Yeah, it had more effect. It had more weight. Yeah. And mind you, you know, the the old Super Friends show is pretty bad. Like in general, <laughs> it's, it's really, really bad on pretty much every level. <laughs> And then some. And then some. I mean, it really is. I mean, as a kid, okay, I can be forgiven for being like seven and liking it, but oh, I'm not being elitist. It's just not a good show, like by any measure. Um, no. So, but but I think you're onto something there. I think subliminally we do have this idea of the superhero stuff being sanitized, which is really ironic when you go back. We'll talk about this a little later, I think, when we get to the episode with uh, the pulps. Yeah. But the pulp stories are inc- are often very gritty. Like yep. they have a lot of collateral damage. There's a lot of stuff that um, is questionable. Um, yeah. Questionable thing. You know, hero is doing very questionable things. And 
that was a big part of the culture that the comics actually came out of. Yep. And yet they were they were anything but sanitized. And but yeah, and you can see it even if you actually listen to the old Superman radio show that they or even read the original Superman and Batman comics. They're mm. more like pulp heroes. They're actually yep. really not nice people. Not at yep. all. Yeah, there's uh I think the first couple of Batman stories, there's one he machine guns a whole bunch of guys and there's another yep. he breaks a dude's neck with a rope hanging out of the bat plane. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading that one. I, I remember as a kid being kind of shocked by that. The Batman everyone knows and quote-unquote loves is the sanitized 50s Batman mm-hmm. and the one that came after. Batman actually, Batman started dark, basically. Yeah. He started, in fact, actually, and this is the irony, I would say he started easier, even darker than the modern Dark Knight version of him is. Yeah. The original Batman was way more dark. The, no matter how "quote unquote" edgy they try to make Batman these days, yeah, I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but whatever. You think you kids? You think you invented dark? <laughs> we'll show you dark. Well, and then my and, then, <laughs> and that was a thing that always struck me, even as a kid, hmm. and why I think the comics code had a big thing with that because you had the comics where all of a sudden you know Batman can't like kill anybody. On the cartoon, he can't even punch anybody. Meanwhile, all along in the newspapers, Dick Tracy villains meet constant, gruesome graphic endings. Yes, they did. Yes, they did for many years. But it was the idea because it was in a newspaper that that newspapers are grown-up things. And then the comics carried some of that gravitas over. Mm. And then it goes back to the Senate subcommittee hearings because Wortham didn't attack the newspaper strips. He specifically went after comic books. And then in the mind of the public, that separated the two. And then that was why superheroes became kid stuff because after the code, they toned everything right down. Except that, now I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe even the newspaper comics did tend to get toned down after that. They started to also be less edgy than the comic book versions were. Uh, maybe they were a little more edgy in the comic book, but I don't think like Dick Tracy, for example, in the fifties became more super science it, than he did. He wasn't really fighting the gruesome pulp villains anymore. Oh no, he was. And, and they would get like burnt to death or freeze to death or all kinds of like, it was still, yeah, they usually, well, yeah, they had bad ends. I remember I, re- I read the collections. They had bad ends. Yeah. And, and that was the kind of thing like, um, in the fifties, Dick Tracy could do stuff that would just not fly. In, in a comic book. Mm. And it doesn't matter, what, though. Batman was traveling off to the stars at that point. Well, yeah, but so was Dick Tracy. He was? Yeah, because they had... Remember they found the uh, the the colony on the moon? They had I don't spin- remember that. I did, well, guess the collections I read didn't get that far. I was reading, oh. like, the 30s and 40s. Okay. Okay, this was, like, in the 60s with the space coupe. No, there was a Dick Tracy space coupe? Yeah, because there's a civilization on the moon. Oh, okay. And they did, he went into space and they did all kinds of like high tech, scientific, science fiction y, super spy kind of stuff back then, because that's what was cool. Well, yeah, yeah, it was. But then everybody would burn to death or drown, and I believe there's probably uh, still a space coop in orbit that contains the body of two villains. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> all right, so moving the light along then, speaking <laughs> of things in orbit. Episode 9 was Clap If You Love Gamera, <laughs> which was, of course, our giant monster primer basic episode. Like, yeah. here's everything you never want to know about Daikaiju, about giant monsters, with, of course, Chad as our guest host. Yeah. 
And I don't think there's a lot we can say about that. It was just awesome. It was. And, and again, I'm thinking, because we had the discussion in there about how the uh, giant monsters never quite caught on here like they did there. Mm, true. And I'm wondering if it ties in kind of with that thing that the science fiction-y stuff for us got kind of uh, sillied up and sanitized up for a little bit. It could be the opposite, though. I okay. mean, the Japanese stuff is the stuff that's kind of... I, I bet a Japanese fan would lament that they are trapped in a permanent culture of silly. Whereas, okay. in terms of like... Because think about this. If you were a Japanese fan who maybe wanted stuff to be more, more, stuff more like Star Trek, you never got it. Hmm. The closest you ever got was Ultra 7 or... Well, one or two other Japanese shows. Yeah. But, uh, but the thing is, you... Those were rare, rare, rare exceptions. You wanted something that was more serious, like Star Trek, but you never, but sort of actual watching Star Trek dubbed over, you never got it because hmm. your whole culture is still too focused on um, giant guys in rubber suits beating each other up. There's that, and also, ironically, um, hmm. a lot of Japanese sci fi post war. Hmm was uh, very over the top and superhero-y because it was moda- it was it was uh uh inspired by the American pulps. Yeah, yeah, it was. Mm. So that so, is interesting. Yeah. I I would bet that there are a ton of or were anyway, a ton of really frustrated Japanese sci-fi fans who wanted serious sci-fi and just were not getting it out of Japan. Yeah. Now you can see some of that in fact. Now they do actually have their whole sci-fi novel culture there. Yeah. Like their own sci-fi books, like uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes, for example, and such. They have their own sci-fi series, but they're ne- they've never been made into like TV series, not live-action ones. Some of them have been made into animated ones. Yeah. But even then, the early animated ones. Okay, okay, sorry. Space Cruiser Motto. Okay, there we go. There's okay. Space Cruiser <laughs> So, so they did get it, but they got it in animated form. Yeah, and, and uh, I think too. Mm-hmm. The animated ones too. It was um, there was a sweet spot for that. Mm-hmm. If you want to go like, um, there was Yamato, mm-hmm. and then they kind of there was little bits and pieces of series. But I think it was around like uh, I want to say nineteen eighty one to around eighty six. Mm-hmm. You had like a lot of animated series that were dead serious. Yes, you did. Yeah, there were a ton of... The, that's almost all of which had involved giant robots, you know, because they were all basically following, like, off Gundam and Macross and such. But yeah. but the, you're right, they did do a whole bunch of them, plus a couple of different Yamato series as well. Yeah. And then by the end of, like, the 80s, it kind of started going a little... Because that was something they stopped doing the uh, cosmic stories. Mm. And, and, I, and then I think... Which is weird that then it would go back to superhero stuff. That's true, actually. You're right. There's a period, that period there was actually a period where there was no new Ultraman. There were no new Kamen Riders coming out during that period either. Yeah. They were so focused on doing that sci-fi stuff that they actually temporarily, there was almost a halt in the superhero stuff for a while there. Yeah. Uh, not, not entirely. The Sentai Power Rangers type stuff was still coming out at that time. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it was born at that time because that's that is no because uh, wasn't said. No, it was it was born in the seventies. It was still coming out in the eighties because it's never stopped. Right? It's always yeah. come out every year. 
but that's a good point, actually. But yeah, even at that time, yeah, they were still more sci-fi focused because that's the era where every Sentai series has a spaceship and jet and space fighters and that to go along with it. Yeah, that's and the period. And there's also a tendency to that the the science fiction. It's not. It's not just like a space battle. There always works some kind of like um, spiritualism or kind yeah. of religious ideology in it. Because I'm, mm. I'm thinking, like I said, I just finished watching uh, Idian not too long ago. And Idian ends with the destruction of all life in the universe. And you see everybody's soul moving on to the afterlife. And awesome. they, used, when they did stuff like that all the time. Even like, say, Macross was the. It, it wasn't just robots fighting. It was the clash of two societies. Yeah. And they got into that whole. And it was this much bigger thing. And they kind of stopped doing that by the end of the 80s. Mm, that's true. Oh, definitely by 87, 88. They were pretty much done doing that for a while. Yeah. Um, I think it's because I remember reading somewhere. I think we talked about this in another episode where at some point, I think it was in the 70s, they actually. Got it. They had a huge rush of American pulp sci-fi, like the pulp sci-fi of the '60s and all that, arrived in Japan basically in the '70s. Yeah, and so and was hugely popular, and everyone was reading it. And so then that's where we we get a lot of that's so that's why I've said this many times before. Um, a lot of '80s Japanese sci-fi is H. Beam Piper. If you actually yeah. read H. Beam Piper stuff, it's describing exactly what he's describing in his like six fifties and sixties sci-fi novels. That's what it is just with robots. Yeah. Uh, that's what future society looks like. It's, it, he's describing it exactly how they portray it. And he, why? Because they were reading H. Beam Piper. They were all big fans. I bet. Yeah. And so it, it makes sense. It really, really does. Um, anyway, but yeah, well, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, I'd never really considered that before. But yeah, there was that period. Also, keep in mind, the early 80s, and that, that's post-Star Wars, right? Star Wars yeah. is having its influence there as well. Although we probably shouldn't really overestimate Star Wars because Space Cruiser Yamato comes out before Star Wars. Yeah. Because as like, I recall, Yamato influenced Star Wars. Yes. And I think even was Gundam pre or post? I think it was post. Yeah. That's... Yeah, Gundam was... Uh... The original was like 78. You're right. So it was post. It was post, but it would have been started pre. It would have been. Yeah, because it would have gone into production pre. Yeah. But, but then again, because there's no question the whole beam sabers in Gundam, that those are from lightsabers in Star Wars. They must be. Yeah. So there, but so that must have been there fairly early on, or maybe they kind of retconned it at some point to include them or whatever. I'm not sure. But yeah. um, they they yeah. could have because I've read that there was a lot of stuff like with the robots mm. that um, that uh, Sunrise was making him put in right because they wanted it to be more like science fantasy and more like the super robot shows. So mm. uh, the the big one being the Gundam Hammer, which is the big ball and chain. Ah, oh, right, that thing. That yeah, Tomino fucking hated that, but they made him put that in because like the all the other ones had like melee weapons and stuff. Right. Well, they need the toy to have a, some kind of melee weapon, right? So yeah. there we go. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's keep moving on. So um, right. so then we got to episode 10, which is Twisted Robot Mego Chicken Theater, which is, yep. of course, about your toy fixation and your toy production, which was mm. awesome. My one true uh, friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Your army. <laughs> um, 
your other army, I guess now. Mm. Um, so let's see. So we, I think we'll just skip on past that one. Yeah. Um, so we get uh, teen culture number eleven, where we Jack came back and we discussed teenagers and the nature and uh, slacktivism and kind of the history of what where teenagers came from. Yeah, because this is another one that um, a lot of the ideas we came up with in it keep mm. coming back. Mm. So. Well, the idea, like we were just saying a minute ago, that post-war, mm-hmm. when you had the creation of teenagers during that thing, right. the uh, the rise of television and how it was our parents that the events that they were, that were fixing time for their, their lives were essentially media events. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that ties in to it. And again, that's something that keeps coming back, that immediately after the war was a big change and it's kind of a realization of stuff that went into place back in the twenties that basically Ed Bernays created all of society, but nobody knows who he is. So yeah, exactly. We might even have to do a whole episode on Eddie Bernays at some point, or at least when extensively talking about him, that'd be fun. And you get a picture of uh, Mr. Burns for it too. Yeah, exactly. We just (laughs) use that picture for Eddie, for Eddie Bernays. Yeah. (laughs) Go look up Edward Bernays, folks, if you don't know who we're talking about. Yeah. All right. Um, Sigmund Freud's nephew. All right. So, uh, episode 12, Pokemon turns 20. So, Chad returns for our uh, big Pokemon episode. Um, Also, You know what's interesting also? We're also at the point where almost every episode, with a few exceptions, now has a guest. Yeah. This was a change that kind of started, yeah, with Chad's first appearance. And then, because, you know, it adds a little spice to the show. And it's nice to hear different perspectives. And, um, it, yeah, it's just fun to have, you know, guests on. I, I really enjoy that. It's, it's one of the aspects yeah. of the series that I really like. Yeah, and it's, and it's one of the things, too, that you can see it develop. Because, uh, like, say, Chad mm-hmm. has, has been, been like a friend and associate for decades. Yes. And then Jack shows up. And like you've known Jack for a little while, not nearly yeah. as long as Chad, but you've known. And I've then known one Jack for a while, yeah, yeah. And then once you get them, it's like other people are willing to come on because now they can say, "Oh, well, you weren't too big of a dick to that guy, so I'll give it little, a shot." Little did they know how much got edited out, but oh. Well, you know. <laughs> um, if anything, we were actually a little early with our Pokemon I mean, it was Pokemon Turn 20. It was the anniversary, of course. Yeah. And that was a good discussion. But then, of yeah. course, your Pokemon would explode later on with Pokemon Go. Um, and, and I definitely want to say that we were 100% correct about everything we predicted. Well, except Bra- for one thing. Pokemon Go has pretty much already burnt itself out. It has, but you're starting to see the clones. That's true, and one of them may actually be much more successful, because it'll learn from Pokemon Go's mistakes. Um, in episode 13, Collectible Card Chaos, we had James Wegg come in. Yeah. Who is a guy I'd known for a while. I've known James maybe about 10 years. We used to game together. Um, and maybe a little... Actually, I think I've known him longer than 10 years. At least 10 years, anyway. No, no, wait. I met him around 2000 or so, so way more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, time flies. And that was a good interview, actually, just talking about collectible card games and such. That was a lot of fun, actually, to have him on. He's one of our, he was actually probably our first, we'll call it expert guest. Yeah. I mean, Jack is a teacher, so he knows, high school teacher, so he knows a little bit about teenagers. And Chad definitely knew about Pokemon, so he was definitely an expert guest for that. So I can't, I guess I shouldn't really say that, but James was one who came in to truly just discuss that one topic. 
Yeah, specifically as an expert. As an expert, yeah. Yeah. That's true. And so, and yeah, that was uh, that was good to have him on. Um, and yeah. we learned a few things. Ironically enough, since since that broadcast, James actually closed that store. Oh, okay. Um, no Dice Games has reopened, but it's actually reopened in a small town outside of London. He actually basically abandoned the city of London and where he was in. I guess he had some landlord troubles. Oh, okay. And so he just said basically it's just... He couldn't find another spot that didn't have another card game store or something. I'm not sure what, exactly what happened. And right. so he just basically moved on. He moved to a spot outside of London, kind of you could say in the suburbs, far suburbs, right. so to speak. Hmm. And um, but, he's, but he did reopen the store and hopefully it's doing well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's a good episode, too, because a lot of the uh, a lot of how the card collectible card game industry developed mm-hmm. um, got picked up by other other like entertainment Kind of industries. That's true. And holy smokes, does that man know his collectible card games? <laughs> he knows them backwards and forwards. Yeah. He's actually a master of uh, the JRPGs, especially the console RPGs as well. He's played pretty much all of them. We huh. should actually really have him back on for that at some point. But but Chad knows them too, and I think Chad would be pissed off if we didn't bring <laughs> Chad back. So, well, well. We can both make him fight. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, we, we, have, we have to do that. We have to get two guests that are diametrically oppo- opposed, and then we can just, like, sit back and watch the show. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, people who are diametrically, with whom we're diametrically opposed, um, <laughs> episode 14 was, of course, Talking 80s Independent Comics with Jeff, uh, with Jeff Wood. Yeah. Which is another one of our uh, top 10 most downloaded episodes. That one's right. actually done very well. Um, there's a catch to that one though. That's one of the first ones that I actually went and posted, um, copies of it on a couple different forums and other places to kind of just see if I could build up some interest basically. So that's one of the reasons why it's as popular as it is. Well, that, and as we found out talking to him, holy smokes, he has connections with like everybody. So yeah, yeah. It's actually been too long since we talked to Jeff. We should, we definitely need to get him back on again soon. Yeah. That, that episode is interesting because again, um, Mm -hmm. I've known Jeff for a while. Mm-hmm. As I like to constantly remind him, I used to read his comics back when I was like in like high school and, and that. Right. And I would correspond with him. Then when the internet happened, we'd post. That interview was the first. That's the closest I've ever been to like a face-to-face with the guy. I can see that. So yeah. that was that was interesting for that. Yep. Yeah, that is. And, and Jeff's a great guest. Oh, I loved doing mm. that interview. I thought that was fantastic. Um, just the stuff that he brought to the show and just listening to him. He's very charismatic. And who, mm. if he's listening now, you know, thanks, Jeff. That was like, that, yeah. that's always a lot of fun. Um, okay, so let's move on then. Uh, speaking of expert guests, episode 15 was podcasting audio drama where we had Jack back again. Yeah. Uh, to specifically talk about, you know, doing audio drama, something that both Jack and I have been involved with. I think we did a good job with that one. And uh, it's also another actually fairly commonly downloaded episode. I think a lot of people who are curious about audio drama, which of course is one of the more modern terms for radio plays, yeah, are, have listened to that episode just to hear what we have to say about it. And I think that's good too, because um, one of the things that I always hope people do is branch out. Like, don't just mm. whatever your shtick is, don't just stick with that. Absolutely. And I, and there's a lot of people that I don't think realize that audio drama is a thing and it's a pretty big thing. Mm, definitely. And, and that was good because, yeah, Jack brought up all kinds of different other shows in that. So if you're looking for, uh, if you're looking to try something a little different, mm-hmm. 
yeah, that's pretty good. And then he runs the Sonic Society, and they cover all kinds of different stuff like that. And he's got tons of things up there. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. I mean, if you want to know about audio drama, go check out the Sonic Society. I will guarantee you will find something that you will like on the Sonic Society. Yeah. You, you might... It's an anthology. You might not like every episode, but eventually they'll hit something that will definitely work for you. Mm-hmm. And he, he's been doing it every week for so many years. It's scary how many episodes he's done. I'm amazed he's managed to find so much audio drama. It just shows how much that's really out there because he almost never repeats a show. Yep. Or, or by which I mean he never repeats a series. Like I think he occasionally will go back and grab an episode, a second or third episode from some shows, but that's actually not that common. He usually is... Uh, coming up with completely new episodes, usually first episodes of different stuff or standalones. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, uh, of course, the next episode, the episode 16, was The Hero Pulps with Greg Taylor. Yep. And um, who's also a friend of Jack's. And uh, that's how I met Greg through Jack. And mm. um, Greg, of course, does uh, Dakota Ring Theater, which is a beautiful example of audio drama. Yeah. There we go. So yeah. that worked out pretty nicely. Um, and he, but he brought a lot of knowledge about the pulps, yep. which I uh, didn't know, and I, I, that was actually really interesting. And it ties back in with the with how the pulp culture gave birth to a lot of our modern culture, especially the superhero stuff. Yeah, and that was again, I was I was glad to uh, to do that episode because it it really basically everything. If you're under fifty years old, everything you think is cool comes from that era one way or another mm, true and that's why it was great to get the history it was great to get the um the details of why the pulps happened the way they did and how they were put together in that because mm-hmm. that's another thing i know um you talked about uh lester dent's uh writing formula right and that's definitely something that um we're, we're gonna we're gonna have to get to uh we're gonna have to do a whole episode about we're that. We're gonna kind have to. We'll do, we'll do a whole episode on the pulp writing yeah. formula and that. Yeah, we'll do a whole episode on that. I really want to actually. Maybe we'll record that in a little bit. But yeah. Um. So look, listen for that, people, because we, yeah, we'll do a whole episode on Lester Dent and Michael Moorcock's formula, and there's a couple yeah. others. And you'll see, like when the uh, when when you cover the uh, when Lester Dent's especially, holy smokes, is that every action movie made since like 1950. <laughs> and most TV series. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he he had it down. It's it's a it's a nearly perfect formula, at least plot structure wise. It really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if people want to see it, you can go to robinpatterson.com and I'll have a link in the show notes for here as well for on obeydna.com. Yeah. I've got a copy of it up there, and yeah, it's yeah, it's the standard plot formula. And uh, yeah, yes, yeah, you said we'll do a whole episode on it later on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep, so that's so that's great stuff. Um and speaking of superheroes, of course, episode seventeen was all about Ultraman. Yes. Which it is was. To, which <laughs> is at episode seventeen our most listened to episode of all time. Mm-hmm. Apparently Ultraman has a lot of fans out there, or at least people who <laughs> want to know all about Ultraman, because boy does that episode get listened to. Yeah, it was it was also good too. There's uh I think two notable things about that. Mm-hmm. for us was I liked the idea that you gave a rundown of um where to start. Yeah. Based on what kind of things you're into already because there's just so much Ultraman. Yes. Yes there yeah. is. And then the other thing I don't know if um 
I I should be proud or ashamed of. Mm-hmm. But um, when we recorded that episode, that wasn't the episode we were going to record. Yes, you're right. We were yeah. actually we going to we we actually planned that was actually an episode that we just threw together at the last second. Yeah, we pulled all of that like completely out of our butts, and I don't know if I should be like proud or ashamed that I know that much about Ultraman. Yeah, that we went on for two and a half hours about Ultraman, <laughs> and even then, that's still a compressed summary episode, not of our recording, but just of Ultraman in general, because there's so much. Yeah, there's there's we didn't get into the movies. Um, mm. Rob conspicuously ignored Ultra Meow a whole bunch, as I recall. Um, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Quite proudly and purposely, yep. Yeah. And we didn't even get into the ripoffs, because there's a lot of Ultraman clones that I think are just fantastic and the world needs to know about. Okay, well, that's... Yeah, okay, well, maybe we'll get to that someday. We'll do an alternate, uh, you know, Ultraman and other tokusatsu episode. In fact, yeah, we'll definitely do a a miscellaneous tokusatsu episode. Yeah, we st- we still haven't done our Sentai episode yet, which we're definitely going to do at some point because yeah. I I want to go through and that trust me will probably make the Ultraman episode <laughs> it'll, it'll put the Ultraman episode to shame. Trust me on this one because I know a far more than I should about Sentai. And there's so, so much. And there's so much. Oh my god. Well, and, and here and even there, I'm actually behind. I quit watching it a couple. We've been caring about them like a couple years ago, but even then, I still kind of know what's going on with them. So, right, yeah, yeah. Let's just say there's a lot. So, Sentai is one that we'll actually get to, and I think that that's actually an important one. We'll hopefully do a Kamen Rider episode as well, and a miscellaneous yeah. one, which we'll throw the Ultraman clones into. Yeah, because yeah, there's a whole. I it's it's the kind of thing when we say that like Ultraman is is their superhero. That covers a lot of ground because just like how you know there's so many like superheroes and superhero clones and superhero ripoffs and go back to the 60s and the 70s and like every third stringer company was producing superhero books and the 90s the same thing happened. Yeah, that happened with like Ultraman and Kamen Rider Mm -hmm. and the Sentai series. Yep, Yep, definitely. Um, So continuing our quest, uh, episode (laughs) 18, of course, is Ed Vick and Blue Press. Um, another great one, and actually our very first episode with two guests, not just one. Yep. In fact, actually, I don't think we've done that since. I think we've we've always only had one guest. That's the only episode we did. We actually managed to do two so far, anyway. Yep. Um, and that was a uh, a great episode from a completely different perspective. Yep. It was interesting too because uh, Ed took over as the uh, for uh, for Rauer Brazel. He's now the head editor for it, mm-hmm. and that's pretty good. And it's funny because um, right after we recorded the episode, I went through my comic collection. I dug out a bunch of the old uh, Moo Press comics that I got. Because mm-hmm. I, bu- I got a bunch. They did a lot of good stuff. Right, yeah. And it's funny hearing him talk about the criteria that he used to decide what he was going to publish and what he was interested in. Right. It's so funny because now when you sit back and like read the books and see what came out, you can so see it. Mm-hmm. You can totally see it. Right. Well, yeah, because he told you his thinking, and so now yeah. you, you understand. Yeah. And and that's why you can get a company that would produce, like, things on one hand, like um, like Donna Barr's stuff, right. and on the other hand, like Matt Howarth's stuff. Yep, that's very true. Mm. 
And uh, hopefully within the new year, we will actually have an interview with Matt Haworth coming up just to give a little preview of some of, mm-hmm. some of the shows we've got ahead. Um, so oh. we, we haven't we haven't actually recorded that interview yet, but Matt's apparently interested. So we hope to be doing one soon. Mm-hmm. And if and your homework assignment is look up some Matt Haworth comic books. Exactly. Yep. You, you have to read them. They can't be explained. Yeah. Those annoying post brothers. <laughs> what They're are the unique. Great- one of the greatest comics ever, just for the baby punting scene. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, now that we've got our child abuse out of the way, um, <laughs> let's move on to uh, episode 19, Ghosts of Saturday Morning's Past, which was our Saturday morning episode, whatever happened to Saturday morning cartoons episode, basically. Yeah. And our kind of, in a way, it's our primer on animation, right? That, that's that's yeah. where we kind of go through where animation came from. We just structured it as a focus on Saturday morning. Yeah, it's TV animation. Yeah, American TV animation, basically. Yeah. And, well, okay, American TV Saturday morning animation, where I don't think we really, we didn't really touch, like, the primetime, like, the Johnny Quest Flintstone stuff, if I remember right. I guess maybe we did a bit. Yeah, we talked too a, much. Yeah, we talked a bit about that, and we talked about the, uh, a bit about the 70s and 80s syndicated stuff. Mm, yeah, it's true. Because it all ties in, and that's why I say it's 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 kind of the intro. Because mm. there's there's two weird things about that episode, though. Mm-hmm. Because the first one that that really kind of struck me was that I always thought Tipper Gore was the head of the ACT. You were wrong. I was, and it's weird for me because that's why I know so much about the PMRC from the eighties. Because I thought they were just the ACT coming back. ACT two, the revenge. There you go. It was very eighties. Yeah, and and that was why I I remembered it. Now I'm wondering how that got conflagrated in my head. I must have read an article or something because mm-hmm. I was pretty young. That's that all kind of happened when I was like eleven or twelve. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I must have read something that got that mixed up. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I found interesting, right, was. Um, We'd said that Scooby-Doo and Josie and the Pussycats were the formula for, like, every cartoon ever on Saturday morning. They pretty much were. There were, but there was a Josie and the Pussycats before, and it, in 69, Filmation, yeah, Filmation did a, a Hardy Boys cartoon. I did not know that. Okay. That was, it was pretty much the same thing. It's, you can find them online, but it's not something that gets mentioned too much. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of them lost classics. Right. And it sort of fills in one of the blanks because it's it's essentially the Archies, but they solve mysteries. Right. But it's it's interesting. It ran the same time Scooby-Doo did. So it's uh, he's a parallel development. One was not influencing the other. No, they weren't. And it's, it's interesting... Um, it's interesting that for whatever reason they decided that because I can understand wanting to do an Archie clone because Archie when they did the car the the cartoon it just it it took off yeah like yeah, that of that it ran for a hundred years I think they went back in time before television and made more episodes because it just broke the time space con- continuum mm-hmm. but it's interesting that they took that that mystery element and added right. it right. Like, you can kind of see the Hardy Boys thing, because it's like that super spy kind of deal that was popular at the time. Mm-hmm. 
And Scooby-Doo adds, like, the horror twist to it. Which is weird that they went that way. I'd like to know why they took that twist. Well, wait a sec. What year was Scooby-Doo? Do you know? 69. Okay, so that's definitely after the whole horror boom. It um, It is. Well after. So that's interesting. But, I mean, there's still some echoes of it probably at that point. Maybe yeah. that's it. Yep. Uh, yeah, I bet that is, actually. Because remember, as we talk about later on, there's the... When we get to... When we get to horror hosts and such, there will be that huge horror boom in the early 60s. And I think probably Scooby-Doo is just an echo of that. It could. It's also interesting to note, because I'm wondering now about that Hardy Boys cartoon, Mm. that if it was really popular, you'd think you'd hear more about it. Maybe it just gets so overshadowed. It could, because when you get to the uh, second season of the original Scooby-Doo... In the mm-hmm. 1970s, which would be the next year. Right. That's when they added the musical numbers. Mm. And that's the year that the original Josie and the Pussycats came out, which was the same idea. And I'm wondering now if that was influenced right. by this Hardy Boys cartoon. Possibly. Possibly. You know, I have to say, actually, that Ghost of Saturday Morning's Past, out uh-huh. of the episodes we've done this year, this will sound like a strange thing to say, it's an okay episode, but to me, I thought it wasn't focused enough i think yeah. that we were a little bit too shallow with it and i know it sounds sound odd like an odd <laughs> thing to say but a, from a personal criticism wise i think it's probably one of the weakest episodes we did during our first year okay what is, I, what is, I, I mean it's not a bad episode but i do think that it's one of our weaker ones especially as a background episode it could be i don't think it was uh shallow so much as over ambitious Mm, probably because it's, it's just too big of a topic and i don't think yeah. we knew when we know a lot actually i hear i want to say this i think looking back on it that we knew and know a sh- ton of pieces of the story but i right. don't think we're either of us are ex- quite expert enough to really put all the story together properly yeah i could kind of see that um maybe if we had chad with us he because he does know more about animation I, that might have it might have actually chad probably could have given us a better perspective i kind of yeah. wish we had chad for that episode i think it would have been a better episode if we'd had him because you know we both try i mean and neither, <laughs> and neither of us has any you know compulsions about talking about lots of stuff that we barely know about but um, it is the internet after all it is the internet after all <laughs> but Occasionally, we get a little overambitious, and I think that the episode on Saturday morning animation, despite our both of our love for animation, it was actually a tiny bit overambitious. I think we, I don't yeah. think that episode came together quite as much well as I'd like, anyway. Although on the upside, hmm. if there's anybody listening who is more of an expert, and we could lure them in, because we were talking about um, afterwards hmm. going by decade. Yeah, that's true. Because there's so much to cover, and again, it all ties in with what's going on with TV in general and society in general. That, that every, time, yeah. yeah, every decade there's kind of a new twist that happens with with how it works, and I'd like to do that. And yeah, mm-hmm. if anybody out there is an expert and wants to sneak in, that would be fantastic because I have a lot of questions about things myself. Mm, okay. Yeah. So if there are any experts listening out there in the history of American TV animation, yeah, contact us. You know, mm-hmm. we, we'd like to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, okay. So moving on, speaking of experts um, and us talking about stuff that we actually do know about, we got to uh, number 20, because we're in the 20s now, Tabletop RPG Memories with Chad. <laughs> 
And yeah. Which admittedly, and this was a criticism that uh, has been made of that episode, w- w- kind of turned into tabletop superhero RPG memories. Right. The, like we start out with D&D, but then we all basically head straight for superhero RPGs and we spend a lot of time on them. When there are other RPGs that we could have gone, right. like we could have, we, here, the truth is we could do a whole episode easily on fantasy RPGs and sci-fi RPGs and that. It's just we happen to wander into superhero RPGs because that's what Chad and I mostly played Yeah, we're big fans of. Yeah. Um, and it's not a bad backgrounder, but yeah, it leans heavily towards superhero RPGs. I will say that. Well, yeah, but I think this, anybody who's listened to a bunch of episodes of the show might have noticed there's three kinds of shows we do. Mm-hmm. We do like the socio-political history kind of things. Mm-hmm. We do the how-to episodes. Yep. And then there's there's the ones that are just kind of us screwing around. And this was sort of one of those. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I did think it was pretty good because, again, role-playing games are such a huge topic. And this is this is the episode where if you know nothing about role-playing games, you now think that it's about middle-aged guys sitting around giggling all the time, which kind of it is. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but it's, yeah, pretty much. It's it's a good intro. We got a, a lot looking at the uh, the list of topics. It's huge. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The list of topics is huge. Yeah. So, and role playing games is a subject that we both really do know a t- um, yeah. far more about than we even touched on there. Yeah, and this is something that's going to come back. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We'll be spending more time on role playing games in the future. Not. Yeah. That many episodes. I mean, we'll spend a few episodes on it in the future. Um, but you know, again, we'll mix it up like we always do. Yeah, we'll, we kind of we'll go back and forth. And but um, yeah, role playing games is definitely one that I'd like to spend some more time on. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Next one. Um, another great interview episode with uh, Tim Eldred, episode yeah. twenty-one. Um, that episode and Tim speaks for himself pretty much. Um, <laughs> uh, um, Tim, you know, was a fascinating guy, and uh, he basically told us about his history in animation and comic books. Well, mostly comics and eventually animation. And Tim knows a lot about those subjects. So um, I get the feeling we barely scratched the surface with Tim, although he definitely did his best to cover a lot of material in that time. And definitely his own own, uh, history with the uh, show, or sorry, with the shows he's been involved with. And I get the impression, too, that... um... Because he's known mostly for superhero stuff, like Marvel and DC. And I did, I got the impression he doesn't get to talk about a lot of the other things he enjoys. Yes. As much. Oh, no. He's a huge, um, like, yeah, 80s anime fan and stuff. And we'll definitely have him on to discuss that kind of stuff. um, Yeah. Probably in the next year. Um, One thing, one issue that we have that we'll tell readers about, we're both basically based in the Eastern time zone. Mm-hmm. And so because of work schedules and such, it's a little trickier for us to interview people that are on the West Coast. And so yeah. we have to schedule that a little more carefully so we don't have our West Coast guests on as quite as much as we'd like. Yeah. Uh, and Tim's an example because Tim, uh, Tim works in Hollywood, literally works in Hollywood. So unfortunately, we can't have him on quite as much as we'd like because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, there's a couple different topics that, uh, I'd like him to have him on. He's actually, you know, said he's be happy to come back on and discuss with us. We just haven't had the chance to have, it just hasn't worked out timing wise yet. Yeah. Cause he would be good for doing like a seventies and eighties, uh, Japanese animation stuff. He would be absolutely fantastic at it. And I intend to have him back on to discuss that. Hopefully within the next couple months, we'll get him back on. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on then, um, 
Heavy Metal Thunder uh, with um, with Richard Mall came on, uh, yeah. music historian there to discuss uh, heavy to discuss the history of heavy metal. Yeah, um, and you know it's funny actually. Some of the uh, feedback we got on the episode include people saying, "Well, you know, we talked about how heavy metal is the is the music of storytelling." And some of the feedback we got is, well, no, you know, folk, folk music is the music of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned that to Richard. And Richard said, well, yes, of course it is. Because heavy metal, as someone put it, heavy metal is folk music with an electric guitar. Wow. Which is actually <laughs> true if you think about it. I mean, in fact, there are a number of heavy metal bands like Nightwish, for example, yeah. started as a folk band. Yeah, that's true. They actually evolved into a heavy metal band uh, because they decided to go with a heavier sound and everything. Right. Heavy metal is uh, a great topic, and I had a lot of fun recording that episode. <laughs> it was great to go in. Um, yeah. Even even if it did end up being more about us than it did about our guest, but whatever. <laughs> he's you know he's the expert. He can grill us on the topic. It's okay. What? Well, so I was gonna say, you can tell that he's got a lot of experience with this sort of thing because about twelve minutes in, he kind of takes over. Yes, he does. And I thought, um, which you sorry, I thought that was I thought that was great. <laughs> that well, was such a great yeah, episode. He apologized <laughs> profusely later on for that to me. To me later on, he apologized profusely. That uh, I should explain. Actually, Richard actually hosts a weekly radio show. It has been for like a decade or so here mm-hmm. in um, London, Ontario, where I'm from, on the local university station. He hosts a uh, eclectic music show um, <laughs> called um, Beyond Beyond. It's called where he all sorts of weird music and everything. And so, yeah, he is a very experienced like radio personality <laughs> and DJ. So, you know, with, when he encountered the two of us just kind of goofing around, he naturally his his radio instinct kind of kicked in. He said, "Well, okay, I have to make this show work." And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, was... he 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 tried to professionalize us up, which you can see the results <laughs> didn't go yeah. so well. But you know, he tried. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, that was a good one. I enjoyed that yeah. a lot. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, yeah. Okay. So moving on, uh, it was followed by episode 23, why you shouldn't be a writer. Yeah. Which is an interesting one because I have to say for me, and I was the one who pitched that idea and we decided to go with it. I can see now that uh, let's talk about this actually. Um, Mm. we, we, one of the things that a side effect that's happened of doing this podcast is that we've been talking to so many creative people that um, I, in the past, I'd done some writing, and uh, but I kind of put it aside for various reasons. And but talking to all these creative and focused people, or especially like like uh, Tim Eldred and some of the other people we'll be talking later on with, and uh, has really made me. Uh, it's kind of inspired me. Actually, it was really inspiring mm-hmm. me. And so when we did the Why You Shouldn't Be a Writer podcast, there's a weird element to it where it's almost me with you and the audience kind of going in the reasons why I shouldn't get back into writing. It's like, it's almost <laughs> like a debate about whether should I start writing again. And if you listen to it, it's a good, great episode on multiple levels because we are going back and forth on the good, positive and negative sides of being a writer. We chose the why you shouldn't be a writer tag partly because it was, you know, it's a kind of a good catchy hook for an episode because mm-hmm. most people are like, Oh, you should become a writer. And, but it's like, well, what's the downside? But we also talk about how to overcome some of the issues of being a writer about a lot of them, in fact. And so 
I think why you shouldn't be a writer. Yeah, for like I said, it's what you're listening to is almost a Rob therapy session in some ways, actually, with that episode. And we'll talk about this in another episode. But I did actually not too long after that episode aired, I started writing again, and uh, have been actually relatively prolific since I've been in. I've been writing more since then than I have for a very long time, um, story writing and such. And we'll spend a whole episode talking about that later on, eventually, in, mm-hmm. you know, in out of my egotism. But the but it's just funny when I look back at that episode. It's actually <laughs> one of the better ones we did this year, I think. And it's yeah. also, yeah, one of the more personal ones for me, anyway. I don't know how you took it. Well, I I, I can I can get on board because uh, it's it's like it, it can be hard to to find. I don't want to say inspiration because inspiration just hits you. But the drive to produce, especially if you're doing like the daily grind day after day after day after day. Mm, exactly. And and so I do understand that. Um, one of the things I liked about that episode is that nobody ever talks about any of that. Nobody ever tells you. And I think that's why you'll get somebody who's some kind of an artist. Uh, the biggest insult they'll give is to call somebody else who thinks they're an artist like a poser or a dilettante. Mm-hmm. And it's because of what we talked about, because anybody can like, um, my thing for years was always when people say, oh, you do comics, so does my son. And it's like, well, I've spent, what, 25, 30 years working on this, mm-hmm. and you've now taken my life work and, and allocated it to your 14-year-old drawing Wolverine. Okay, that's fantastic. But it's because it's that Ooh. idea. Hmm? Yep, go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I can see yeah. why that would piss you off. Yeah, yeah. and that it's that... But it's that idea of putting in the dues. It's mm-hmm. it's that idea of of paying that cost because, again, most people think like, write book, book gets published, money. Like that's how they think that sort. Of, and it totally doesn't work like that. Not anymore. Well, yeah. it kind of is in self publishing, but we'll do an episode on that eventually too. Yeah. Uh, but oh, but you're right. You know, you have to put your dues in. You have to learn to be a writer. It's a skill. Mm-hmm. It's not just yeah. something most people can sit down and do. And yes, the occasional child prodigy can sit down and do it, but most of the stuff they produce is usually either crap or just a one-shot that is lauded by the critics. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, okay, so moving on. Um, so speaking of writing science fiction, back-to-back, um, uh-huh. <laughs> Gary Gibson, episode yep. uh, DNA episode 24. The the only man I've ever seen who said anything positive about Zardoz. Yeah, you loved that, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, lots of bad things about Heinlein. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which I can best... Actually, I kind of like Heinlein. Well, mm-hmm. I like his junior science fiction. I, right. You know, I wasn't going to argue with our guests, but I like like the oh, the Rolling Stones and The Stars My Destination. And he did a whole bunch of, like, young... We'll call it young adult sci-fi. Right. About young people exper- going out into the universe. And a lot of that is really good stuff. It's most of it's very light in the political because it's meant for a younger audience. Heck, Heinlein was the guy who wrote the original Space Cadet novel. He literally wrote a novel called Space Cadet, hmm. and that became the that became the basis for uh, Tom Corbett's Space Cadet, which right. was like a radio show and novels and a TV show, if I remember right, as well. Yeah, and that became a whole like big fifties sci fi boom thing, and it all comes from one of Heinlein's junior sci fi novels. Hmm. Like Heinlein wrote a lot of interesting stuff. His more mature stuff, I actually don't like that much. I kind of agree with uh, Gary about that. Yeah. Um, now, admittedly, Gary was partly on the show as a favor to me. I actually met Gary earlier 
in the spring when I traveled to Taiwan, um, I met him because I'm a friend of his wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wife introduced us, and we got along really great. And yeah, I look ho- hope to uh, hang out with Gary again sometime in the future because he's a fascinating yeah. guy. He really is. Yeah. Um, and um, maybe we'll have, even have him on again about some about something else in the future. Mm-hmm. It'd be great to uh, to have him on a more just topical episode and yeah. listen to him rant about that, <laughs> or listen to him take it apart. I should say. Yeah, because I I a hundred and ten percent agree. Mm-hmm. With with what he was saying about that that science fiction isn't as imaginative and fantastic as it, it used to be. Yes, yes, I completely agree about that too. Yeah. And actually, oddly enough, that's something that will tie into the pulp writing episode we want to do. Um, yeah. Uh, there's an element of that, and I'll just leave that hanging, and our, our listeners can try to figure out why, but... Yeah, fiction in general has actually gotten super conservative, especially science yeah. fiction and fantasy. It's super conservative. Mm-hmm. Like it's like they're only really writing stuff that takes place in pseudo ancient European settings. And I don't yeah. just mean like not going into African or Asian settings. I mean they're even downplaying the fantasy elements that you find in Tolkien stuff. Like yeah. it's really really simplified now. It's yeah. as close to historical as they can get it. They just stick in a few fantasy elements. Game of Thrones, I'm looking at you. Yeah. But but not just Game of Thrones, a lot of fantasy novels I've noticed do that. Now, there are there are a few exceptions, but even the exceptions, um, even stuffed by, oh, what's Brandon Sanderson, who's really popular, and there was the Wheel of Time series and that. Relatively speaking, in terms of, like, weirdness and that, they're still super conservative. Yeah. he's They're still, they'll have one or two weird elements, and then that's it. Everything else is, like, still might as well be, like, just either generic token or Martin type stuff. It's yeah. not like some of the older British stuff where like Michael Moorcock, for example, which is just flat out nuts. Some yeah. of it, not that everything needs to be flat out nuts, but yeah, I, I it, do think that it's not as imaginative as it used to be. Yeah. Cause I thought that was interesting. If you read any like Gary's books, mm-hmm. they're yeah. very, I found them to be very 1960s sci-fi novel. Kind of. Yeah, that would be a good way to describe them, yeah. Yeah, because it's, you've got the plot, you've got the story, he sets this stuff up, it starts moving, it's all going along, you're following along, and then something just pops up, you're like, what the hell is that? Mm. And then it kind of comes in, it does its thing, and it goes, you're like, what, 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 that, hold, that, 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 okay, anyway, story, and you get back, and it's going, it's going, and then something else is like, what the hell is that? And then... Well, as, yeah, that was the drugs kicking in, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Well, you know, the 60s, right? Yeah. Well, and not just that, too, but, I mean, in, when you had the 60s sci-fi, mm. everybody was experimenting because, not just with the drugs, because nobody knew what the next big thing was. There were societal changes. Mm-hmm. People were, were looking at, like, alternative, like, philosophies and religions. And there was more of a willingness to do something just flat-out weird because there was more of an audience willing to accept something flat-out weird. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, we're getting low on time, so we better get zipping on here. So uh, episode 25 is, of course, the Kevin Dope Comedy Hour. Yeah. Um, where uh, Dope came in, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun, too. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. poor guy was pretty nervous coming on, but uh, he once he warmed up, he told some good stories. And uh, yep. was, it was actually, that was pretty funny to listen to. And I like the conclusion. Hmm. Because I find that idea of personableness and comedy, how they work together, I keep coming back to that when I watch stuff. 
Mm. Like when I see movies and that, because you can see that he's right about the little things that are missing. Mm. That's true. And the, and the other thing I find funny is it's it's true. It's funny that he 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 was nervous to be to begin with because I'm like he's known us both for decades. Yeah. And this is the man that I once saw moon a Michigan State trooper, and those guys are not known for a sense of humor. And he's nervous about talking to us. <laughs> yeah, well, being recorded. He's not yeah. nervous about talking to you or I. He's nervous about being recorded. I know what I... Hmm? It's his own personal paranoia. Yeah, well, because he, he explains that too, that because he's not getting feedback. Right, yeah. But it's still, okay, you don't want to be recorded, but... <laughs> you you show your nether regions to a law officer over in Michigan. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's just kind of, that's just how he rolls. <laughs> yeah. And then I had him send the Cupid picture because if I had to be traumatized by that, so does the rest of the world. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> All right. So, um, so next we had uh, Indie RPGs with Graham McLean. And uh, yep. that was, yep, that was a good discussion about, uh, you know, what makes Indie RPGs or creator driven RPGs or whatever term he used. I can't even remember now, but uh Mm-hmm. Um, he was, yeah, he, that was a, that was a lot of fun discussion too. Um, I, uh, I'm sorry, I keep using that phrase, fun discussion, but they all are <laughs> like, yeah. you know, Don and I are just having fun doing this podcast. I mm-hmm. mean, that's a really big part of doing this show is just how much fun we can have with all these guests really. And it's and amazing chatting with these people hmm? and they'll talk to you. Like that's the amazing part. <laughs> well, many of them are people we have known well before the show, but it, they, a lot of them are interesting people with like mm-hmm. interesting backgrounds and stuff to talk about. It's interesting, actually, how things have really changed. I mean, mm-hmm. but they're still using D&D as the template. Yep. Like D&D is still kind of the root that every, tree that everything is still sprouting out of. It isn't. And there's there's stuff that came up in that episode that's going to come back because... When you get to different kinds of role-playing games and different things that came out over the years, there's changes that happen. I know some of them got mentioned, mm-hmm. like uh, like Graham brought up Mecton, mm-hmm. and I'm betting a lot of people who have like a casual relationship with 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 the game are wondering how does that apply to all of these like character drama-driven games? But it really does. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of a big, complicated process. Exactly, and it's That's, going to take a while to kind of sort that stuff out. Plus, yeah. an episode talking about Mechton is awesome. I, I'm I'm down for that. <laughs> yep. All right. So moving on, um, <laughs> episode uh, twenty-seven was, of course, the horror host with Michael Monahan. Yeah. Which is pure fun. Yep. Um, and. It's a- I'm sorry to everyone, but that's my favorite episode of the year. I'm just going to say it straight out. That, that's my favorite episode of the year because I find the whole idea of horror host. I pitched that idea as well. Um, mm-hmm. I find the idea of horror host just fascinating uh, yeah. as, I, as anyone who's heard the episode knows. And so as an end result, I, I had, you know, when I was first, uh, I, I actually tried to find the producers of the show up. Uh, producers of the movie American Scary and uh, get them on. But they actually referred me to Michael and Michael turned out to be an amazing guest. Yeah. And uh, so personable and so much fun to talk with mm-hmm. and so passionate about his nerdly interests of uh, horror hosts and super spies, which the listeners will get to hear about next year. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say next year, keep in mind, this is November. So next year is not that far away. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, Michael is and Michael is an astounding font of knowledge about many historical media cultural topics. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably have him on a couple of times in the next year or so just to talk about different things. And, oh, uh, and of course, horror hosts, I don't know why, but I, I just find them fascinating. I mean, yeah, they're just, they're just such an interesting topic. And you brought up something interesting, a little, tiny little addendum actually in our after discussion uh, and through email about mm. how part of the reason why horror hosts are so cheap looking is because it makes the movie look good. And I'd never thought about that before. And that's such an incredibly good point. Yeah. Is that they're partly there to make you realize that, you know, even though this movie's really cheap and bad, it's better <laughs> than this. Yeah. There's and, th- oh. No, go go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Um, and that's something that I think that is very, very easy to miss. I think that's incredibly insightful. Yeah. And it it's it's also part of the thing that um if you don't have that, if everything has to be like slick and awesome, mm-hmm. you you end up bumping people out of being able to make stuff, and you lose some variety. Mm. Because uh, Michael was talking about the um, the big thing about the horror host was that they were local, mm. Mm. and he keeps coming back to that idea of like local television, local entertainment. Well, that's part of it too, because if ever if you're doing local stuff, it's going to have a different flavor than something that some mega corporation had a focus group put together so as to appeal to the whole planet. Right. And I think that's a big part of why that idea of, of local entertainment and losing out on that, you lose something, is because you do lose a lot of that variety and right. you lose some of that experimenting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of experimenting. I mean, I found Michael's passion for horror host so strong. I, I have a confession to make. I even actually briefly looked at, um, you know, to see my local public access cable station. Not only did they have a horror host, but I was thinking, oh, I wonder if I could pitch a horror host show to uh, to them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm just not a horror host. I don't uh-huh. think I, I just, you know, I just don't. In my younger days, I might have been able to pull it off, but I just don't have the energy anymore to do something like that. Um hmm. Especially doing it like from midnight to 2 a.m. once a week or something. That's why right. I admire Richard so much for doing his radio show because he does it like 10 to midnight or something when he does it each yeah. week. And that takes a lot of energy to do. Yeah. And um, although it's mostly him playing music, so I mean, he's playing in between. But but still, I mean, being a horror host takes, takes a lot out of you and uh, it's not an easy thing. But, you know, yeah. maybe we'll see. Well, because it ties in, too, with that idea of, of uh, like, writing. If you're going to be mm. a horror host, even if you're doing something something like simple and cheesy looking, yeah, you've got to put that together. You've got to come up mm. with ideas. You've got to plot them out. There's a whole lot of behind the scenes that goes into something. Unless you're Goulardi, in which case you just show up <laughs> drunk and then ramble through the, ramble through the movie. Yeah, but that well, adds but- to it. Yeah. That adds to it. But even then with Goulardi, if you paid attention, though, he was doing that, but his team was actually coming up with stuff. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm for sure he came up with some stuff, too. He was actually the team leader. But but yeah, you're right. It added to it. But he was a great ad libber. Yeah. And well, even then, too, if you listen to uh, some of the anecdotes about Goulardi, Goulardi that came up there was uh, mm-hmm. he was putting some thought into into stuff because he had targets. I guess is the word. <laughs> yes, he did. Well, here's the funny part. I don't know if Michael mentioned that, but Gulardi actually lived in Parma. 
Mm-hmm. What he was doing was <laughs> he was targeting his own neighbors. <laughs> when he was taunting those the people of Parma, he was actually taunting the people he lived with. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's the thing, right? And here, here's the most bizarre part. He actually had, and this is true, he had in his subdivision dwelling like life, he had a horse, a pet horse, and a pet goat. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that worked out. Maybe he had a lot of extra room in his subdivision house or whatever. I've been watching some extra little stuff about Gularty. It's like, this is, he was an odd fellow. But here's something else that kind of freaked me out when I realized it. Mm-hmm. Is that um, when they first did, uh, when Star Trek The Next Generation aired, at the end of every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, there would be an ad for the next episode. Right. And I, I just suddenly occurred to me the other day that the guy doing the voice for, the, for those episodes is Ernie Anderson. Mm. The one who's going, next time on Star Trek, the next generation, that's Ernie Anderson doing the voice. Yeah, because he it's, did tons of, of, of voice work. Oh, yeah. He was the voice of ABC. I mean, mm. he was literally the TV voice of my childhood, and I just never realized. I didn't know who yeah. he was. I didn't know anything about him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny that just how, not, not that he was influential or anything like that, but just how he was a presence that was in my life that I just was never quite conscious of or aware of until now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it was just, oh, that horror host episode. It brought in <laughs> so many different aspects in that. It's just just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, okay, so we better get moving on. Of course, episode 28 just dropped, and that's yep. the episode about the nature of nerdliness. Yep. Um, which is us and Jack basically sitting down talking about what it is to be a nerd and if nerds even really, if nerds really even still exist. Yeah. Um, which you could make an argument that, that I think by the end of that episode, we kind of argue that they kind of don't in a way. I mean, yeah. that nerd culture has become so mainstream that there aren't really that many nerds anymore. Yeah. I think it's funny um, with that episode too, if you haven't listened to it yet, or even if you have, you might have noticed the conclusion we draw at the end of that one kind of surprised all of us. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us saw that coming. No, and, and you could tell because at the end you're like, huh, I don't know what to add to that. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's 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 a long, exciting tale. And mm-hmm. yeah, we I think some of the conclusions at the beginning too were like, holy crap, I never even thought of that. That is so. Well, yeah, it really us is us kind of brainstorming the topic of nerdliness. Yeah. And in the process, I mean, we really do, um, yeah, uh, we really do come up with a few interesting ideas about mm-hmm. uh, what it, what nerdliness is, what it means to be a nerd. We're, we're kind of just brainstorming. And I think that's awesome, though. I mean, it's good for us to do episodes like that occasionally. That's yeah. just us sitting down with, you know, other interesting input interesting and cool people and just brainstorming out different ideas or topics. We tend to do that with Jack quite a bit. I noticed. Yeah. Um, and he's, a, yeah. cause he's a good one to have on. He's got similar background, but he's got a different perspective than we do. Yeah. So, so. yeah. So there we go. We're actually caught up, um, on the, the nature of, uh, nerdliness is mm-hmm. the last one we did, and then our anniversary episode, which you're listening now. Mm-hmm. Um, the next episode we're going to be airing will be the episode with RN. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. RN is a, just to let our listeners know, RN is a gentleman who I know who uh, 
in the past spent a lot of time working as a television producer in uh, British and Indian television. So he talks with us a bit about the Indian system and a little bit about Bollywood and such and yeah. uh, something about the British system as well. And when we interviewed him, the thing we didn't realize, and you'll hear this when you actually hear the episode, yeah. we didn't realize that he's actually a super experienced war correspondent as well. Mm-hmm. That he was there for the invasion of Kuwait, as in literally in Kuwait while it was being invaded, um, and and by the Allies took it and everything, and was involved in many world events and had met world leaders and things like that. We didn't actually realize that when we started interviewing him. Otherwise, I think we would have spent more time on that kind of thing. But it's still a good interview, though. I mean, still hearing about the producer side of things is still yeah. really interesting as well. As as I recall, at the end. Like after we we'd signed off and that there was a moment of silence and the first thing you said was, he didn't tell me about any of that. <laughs> exactly. Well, I he's a, a man I know more casually in my real life, so I uh, mm. I didn't realize about some of his deep background. Yeah. Actually, I know another guy who maybe I'll try getting on the show mm-hmm. who is similar. Except okay. in his case, I do actually know his background, and he's got a lot. He's got a lot of re- incredible real life experience. Actually, I think yeah. I will see if I can get him on. I'm not going to name him because we'll. I'll see if I can track him down. You guess can, you listeners can guess um, who I'm talking about if and when he actually comes on the show. Mm. It probably won't be hard. Um, yeah. So anyway, so so RN's coming up, um, and that one, that one, he answered a question that I've wondered about for most of my life. Which was? What's with all the singing and the dancing in the Bollywood films? Oh, right. Yes. Yes, that's true. He actually explains it. It's like, oh, my God, that's so brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's see. So um, after him, we've got um, the interview with Ben Dunn coming up. Yeah. Uh, uh, ben Dunn was another uh, 80s comic book guy and mm-hmm. uh, is the founder of Antarctic Press. Uh, yeah. He's most famous for his comic Ninja High School. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a, another really fun interview. Ben is a really charming guy, and yeah. uh, was it was great to spend time with him. I've been reading his stuff since I was in what uh, early university, at least. Actually, no, high school. I've been reading his stuff since high school, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was amazing. It was kind of like interviewing one of my not what well, I, <laughs> uh, I won't say he's one of my heroes, but someone I admire very much. Yeah, that's that's another interesting one too, because you find out. Just how much nuts and bolts and planning and effort there is behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah. a, it's the the thought that he puts into like some of the stuff that he's done. It's it's like holy smokes. Yeah, he's another one yeah. that I find very inspiring. Going back to the whole point of yeah, this doing this podcast has been such an inspiring experience for me. Getting to yeah. meet some of these people. Wow. Um, and then another inspiring person after that is uh, Kim Lynn Tran, um, <laughs> who's not only our first female guest, but is actually a voice actress uh, who's yeah. mostly done video games. She's done some other things as well. And uh, she joins us to uh, talk about voice acting. And so that's uh, very perky. She's a perky individual and fun episode <laughs> that uh, you've got to look forward to. As I recall, that's the episode where if you haven't noticed by then, you'll realize that Rob is the designated adult on this show. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. I think I I think I think uh, definitely qualify as the designated adult on the show. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of giggling during that episode. Yep. Oh, yeah. Kimlin, <laughs> Kimlin starts 
launched into voices, a lot of voices. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's it's, it'll be fun, actually. And you guys will hear that in about, about six weeks, give or take. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, it'll probably be a little longer because probably in between will come our New Year's episode or our holiday special. Not the Star mm-hmm. Wars holiday special, but a but we might do some kind of holiday thing in between. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably hear Kimlin at the beginning of January, most likely. Right. Um, following that, as we mentioned, uh, we've got interviews that were planned to record with Matt Howarth. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got one um, on Super Spies with Michael Monaghan. Mm-hmm. We've got an interview with a psychic coming up named Mary Bazaar. Um, mm-hmm. And we're possibly looking at doing shows on uh, the pulp formula, as we talked about, pulp writing. Yeah. Um, Star Trek, with the new Star yeah. Trek series coming out, we're going to do our look back at Star Trek. Probably going to do a Universal Monsters episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few other things. And I've got a few other guests that I'd like to get on the show. So I think that it's good. 2017 is also going to be a really interesting year for this podcast. If you listeners keep tuning in, I think you're, we're going to give you a good variety of stuff. It's Mm -hmm. just going to get better and better from here on in. I think. Cause it can't get any worse. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Actually, an interesting thing uh, happened today. In fact, we literally found out about it just before the show. So I think I have to give a shout out if they're listening to the members of the um, the members of the Department of Nerdly Affairs Millwood Division, mm. because uh, a high school club at Nova Scotia High School, which is focused on uh, gaming and movies and anime and nerdly topics, has decided to become an affiliate of our show. Mm-hmm. So we have actually gained, uh, there's about 35 of them or so, young members of um, this club have decided to officially become members of the Department of Nerdly Affairs and become operatives of the Department of Nerdly Affairs. And uh, there may even be some material from them that will even pop up on the show or at least in the show's feed at some point. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, maybe we'll, at some point we'll even have maybe the leaders of the club on maybe and actually talk to them about it. Because I think that would be fun to get a, a younger person's perspective on things. True. Because we're both old. Exactly. <laughs> and um, it's, and yeah, I think it would be, I think it would be fun to see how they see what we're talking about. Um, I've often thought that our show actually, it's, we skew old, right? We're mostly towards a older audience. Yeah. But it's, I think this is material, at least some of it anyway, that some of the things we talk about can be things that young people would actually learn from and appreciate, especially in terms of learning about a little bit of the history of uh, nerddom, so to speak, and the nerdly arts. Yeah. I think that's, that's something I'm kind of big on because I think one of the things that makes a lot of entertainment suck is that the people who produce it, there's no theory like Mm. they know if you want it to be dramatic you use this camera angle but they don't know why and because of that nobody gets beyond it Mm. but if you look back at the history and how things happen and why this took off and why we do this like this and all that kind of stuff i think that adds to the ability to produce something new and different Mm, I think so. Well, if you understand the root theory of where things come from, you can play with it more. Yeah. Because you understand why the things were done the way they were. You're not just repeating things rote, as you said. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So, and on that note, 
Um, I want to thank everyone who's been listening to us ramble on for the last year. Um, I hope <laughs> we provided you some entertainment and some value for the time that you shared with us because you may not have been giving us money, although you're welcome to. Um, <laughs> you could give us, um, you've been giving us your time and I think yeah. that that's even more precious and we appreciate that. Yeah. And although if you do want to thank us, we have this little survey going on up at the uh, Department of Nerdly Affairs site at Obey the DNA. And if you would mind dropping by and doing the survey so we can learn more about our listeners, that would be a great way for you to thank us and celebrate one year of being on the air so that we can actually know more about you and what you'd like to see on the show, because that's part of the survey. Yeah. If you've got suggestions for us, please let us know. Fill out the survey or even just email them to us or comment to us. I mean, we have a pretty good list of stuff we'd like to do, but we're always open to suggestions and pitches. And if you're an expert in a particular nerdly art area, please also feel free to come on the show and um, talk to us and our audience about it. I mean, contact us and let us know. We'd probably like to interview you. Yep. Um, it might take a little bit depending on our schedule, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, try, to, we'll, we'll try to work things out. Uh, we tend to record a number of shows ahead, so we're fairly flexible on the interviewing thing, depending on what's going on in our personal lives, of course. Yeah, and I stopped sleeping about two years ago, so it's all good. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. Um, I guess the only final thing that I'd like to think is, so, so our first year of doing this podcast has really been about us exploring you know, what it is to be a nerd, I guess, in a lot of ways. I think the whole episode in the nature of nerdliness was a good way to almost end our cycle, I guess, of the first year. Hmm. Um, do you think we're going to have a focus for the second year of our show? It's when we, we were kind of talking about this a little while ago. Hmm. I get this odd feeling, like when you listen to the shows and cause there's different points that seem to come up a lot. Hmm. I think, there's going to be some kind of epiphany in the near future. Mm. Like, oh, yeah. like the realization, oh, that's how that works. Or that's why that is. So I think there might be, there might be some kind of theme, but there's going to definitely be some kind of conclusion. Mm. Well, not necessarily the show is going to end at that point, but we're <laughs> going to at least reach some more um, ideas because this show really is, I can't say it's a serial or anything, but it is building towards something. At least this is, this is the feeling I've had for a little while, but it's something that's happening kind of quietly and subconsciously in the background of our heads. Yeah. So this might sound creepy, but it's true. <laughs> and so as an end result, it's the show. There is an element shaping the show, but even we ourselves are not entirely aware of it. It's kind of just coming out of our subconscious and it's kind of working its way forward. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, it'll be fun to look back in another year or so and see, did we develop any really new ideas or conclusions? Like, where did this all this stuff go? Yeah. Um, but even if it doesn't go to any great conclusions or anything, as long as we interview cool people and talk about fun stuff and are able to you know, have some entertaining conversations and some laughs, I think, the to I think the show is totally worth it. And I'm glad we started this podcast. I'm just surprised we don't get hate mail. It's the internet. Where's the hate? I mean, the only closest thing we've ever gotten is Jack. And <laughs> he's more commentary than hate mail. Yeah, that's true. Um, and of course, we'll have Jack on again to discuss various topics in the, in the coming year as well, because he's he's a great guest and we love having him on. Yeah, we plan, um, we, but, we plan to have Jack come on for our uh, 80s shoujo cartoon episode. I think uh, 
He'll appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be perfect, actually. <laughs> I mean, Jack is such a huge anime fan. I think that um, he will, he'll absolutely love it, talking about girls' anime. Oh, two hours of girls' anime, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Okay. Anyway. Now we're going to get hate mail. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so on that note, thank you, everyone, for listening and uh Giving, sharing your time with us for the past year. We truly appreciate it. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can give you another great year of material between now and uh, the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. Good night, everyone. Good luck. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>